Mr. Sukulos is ready to throw the fuck down. This is the magic of fucking Twitter, ladies and gentlemen, and the internet. Just something happened. I don't remember what we were tweeting about, but all of a sudden, Giorgio tweets me back, and I tweet him, and I say, you want to do my podcast? And he says, fuck yeah, and boom. And then we meet in Vegas, and we're hanging out in Vegas like we've known each other forever. A great fucking time. Thank you, dude. It was a lot of fucking fun, man. Giorgio's a cool cat. And, uh, I mean, one of my favorite shows of all time. I love that Ancient Aliens. I've got a big stack of them. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I don't think you do either. I think it's a lot of who knows, right? Absolutely. It's a lot of, th- I mean, that's what I got from you talking to you in Vegas. I was like, man, maybe this dude's crazy. Maybe he's going to tell me Atlantis was a spaceship and it flew away. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But you were like really open to any possibility, which I truly admire in a person. You know, so many people are married to their fucking ideas. Even preposterous ideas, like, you know, that David Icke guy really fucking believes that there's reptilians that are running this planet. You know, like, and, and he says he's got facts and information. Motherfucker, have you seen a reptilian? If you haven't, how can you be sure? How can you be... Not? When you hear stuff like that, now you're in the business of, of this wild, crazy UFO world where so many people look down on anything that's even remotely outside of the mainstream all of it gets ridiculed. But when you see a guy like David Icke, do you ever say, I wonder if this motherfucker works for the government? Because he says so much cool shit and so much shit that makes sense. And then he starts talking about reptilians. And you got to go, well, that's classic disinformation. That's like the move. That's like, you know, if, if you want to, f- to piss in the well, what you do is you throw a bunch of shit in there that really makes sense, like the CIA killed JFK and, you know, we were in uh, Vietnam for money, and the military-industrial complex really does run things, just like Eisenhower said. Plus, there's a base on the moon, we've been going there telepathically for years, and what we do is we, we have a place where we go where we teleport people, and you have to be naked, and that's why women aren't allowed to be on the base. I know, you go, what the fuck are you talking about, man? And by throwing all that wacky shit in there, you, you kind of piss on all the stuff that is interesting. Because, you know, you can say, well, wait a minute, this guy said that the CIA killed Kennedy, but didn't he also talk about the wacky shit on the moon, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, to me, it's it's a very easy solution. You go with your gut feeling, because there are people out there that say some really crazy stuff, but at the same time, some of the stuff they do say also carries some merit. Right. So, you know... That's a problem, though, isn't it, though? Of course it is. Of course it is. But you know what? At the end of the day... You just have to let it go yeah. and be like, all right, that's, that's what those people are talking about. I'm not going to you know, subscribe to it. I, I think it's crazy, whatever, but that's your own choice. Because in the end, we all make a choice of what we believe in, what, we, what ideas we subscribe to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if some of that stuff is crazy, guess what? I mean, if you look at science today, a science book, uh, you know, there's all these different theories in there and ideas. And it's pretty much cutting edge, uh, the cutting edge of knowledge. But if you look at a textbook from 200 years ago, which was published beca- at a university, that too was considered the cutting edge of knowledge at the time. Now, you look at that textbook today, 200 years later, and 99% of that knowledge in there is obsolete. Is that true? Like, what, what has been really disproven? Like, what field has been completely reworked over the last 200 years? That there's still stuff as it's useless. I know most stuff gets updated, but how much of it is, like, completely obsolete, I wonder. Well, you know, 
I mean, it, it all comes down to, you know, the Edison link. There, right. there were certain procedures that at the time right. were considered to be, you know, perfect. And sure. Today, like radiation treatment and stuff. And whatever. Oh, sorry. It's fucking <laughs> But we know Alex. I wanted you to hang out with Alex that one weekend in Vegas because you're a big Alex Jones fan. I'm like, listen, Alex. brother, I love Alex, too. I love Alex, too. But come on, let's hang out with the dude. And then you get a better sense of what Alex... Alex Jones is Alex Jones 24-7. Whether it's there's a fucking conspiracy to keep him from getting a cigarette or uh, she's trying to keep me from that beer. Uh, this woman who works at the bar knows I want a beer, sees me, avoids me, avoids eye contact. I've been told by the management to keep me from having a beer. It was about the tickets. Remember the tickets? Everything, anything. <laughs> he was worried that we weren't really going to get him the UFC tickets. I'm like, brother, you're good. You're my friend. We're cool. Yeah. Like he, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. But he's crazy, you know? And you have to be crazy to dig for the truth that much. And I, like I say about Alex, he's, he's right about a lot of shit. I don't know what the percentage is. I always throw out a number. Like, he's right about 70%. But the 30% fucks him. That he just, you know, kind of fills in the blanks. There's a lot of filling in the blanks. But the 70% that he's, or whatever number it is, that he is right, it's worth it. It's shocking. And he's a perfect example of what you were talking about before, like where you have to kind of like use your own filter. There's a lot of stuff that he says that has an incredible amount of merit. It's absolutely correct. And there's some stuff that he says, and you just go, what? What, you, what the fuck are you talking about? He gets crazy. He doesn't go reptilian crazy, but he gets deep end. New world order. He gets uh, like, like eugenics crazy. He gets like he's sure they have a population decrease plan where they're going to kill off most people except for 500,000 elites who are going to be able to live forever and like man you got to have some fucking rock solid evidence to throw that one around you can't just toss that out like a beach ball that the elites are going to kill out fucking all the population except 500,000 like maybe someone's thought that up you know that's I'm not saying it's outside of the realm of possibility your business though is filled with that I mean look there are hundreds of billions of stars in this galaxy and we have already spotted so many of them over the last couple decades or a couple years rather that are in the goldilocks zone where they know could possibly inhabit life they spotted i don't know what the number are but it increases all the time they're constantly finding planets that could possibly support life and planets that are older than ours by a billion years plus. Oh, absolutely. And, and the fascinating thing is that, you know, when in the 60s and 70s, when Eric von Daniken first wrote Chariots of the Gods, mm. you know, the general consensus in the 60s and 70s was that this discussion was even more taboo than it is today, obviously. Yeah. But back then, you know, it was like, you know, maybe we're, we're alone in the universe, and there was only a handful like Frank Drake and uh, Carl Sagan who proposed the idea or dabbled with the idea that, you know, we might not be the only ones in the universe. In the mainstream, legitimate, scientific, academic community. Now, today, you'd be hard-pressed to find any scientist or any astronomer or astrophysicist that will tell you that they think we're alone in the universe. So we've definitely switched where it's almost a given now that uh, everyone thinks that, you know, their intelligent life exists in the universe. However, the big taboo topic that we have today that still remains is, 
okay, they'll say there is life in the universe or in the galaxy, but there is no way that that intelligent life could have ever been here or visited Earth in the remote past or even present day. And that to me is a fallacy in logic because granted the distances between the stars are indeed huge, they're mind-boggling, but just because we can't get from point A to point B doesn't mean another society that, like you mentioned or you said or inferred, that they're a billion years older than us or their world at least is a billion years older than us. Well, I mean, we are a very, very young culture by any means of the imagination. So someone that's only a hundred thousand years older, I mean, they have technologies or other type of uh, something where they combine biology with technology and things like that that we couldn't even dream of right now. Yeah, our imagination is the only thing that limits us from seeing what yes. they could possibly be, have uh, in, given them a thousand years in advance of us, a million years, or even a few hundred years, man. Look what Nikola Tesla was doing you know, in the, in the early 20th century. And, and, and look at what's going on today. I mean, that's a gigantic monumental leap in just a little over 100 years. That's amazing. Well, I mean, just imagine showing your great-grandpa one of our phones today. Yeah. I mean, to, to him... Even Star Trek couldn't fuck with that, right? Exactly. They thought you were going to be able to beam people onto a planet, but they still had walkie-talkies. Mm -hmm. You know, Kirk out. You know, they, they had to fucking... They, didn't, they couldn't wrap their head around the idea that you would have real-time communication on a planet. They're like, that's too stupid. Look, we can beam people there, but we, we can't have Google. You know? Nobody ever thought of Google. The idea that you can just talk into it, you Google talk, the voice thing, you press the voice thing, you go, Eddie Bravo. It Googles Eddie Bravo. Wikipedia page, videos, it's fucking amazing, man. It's, and even with 3G, it's not 4G yet, but it's fast as fuck, man. Any alien species that's a, a thousand years from us, the idea that we're going to know what they can do is absolutely silly. We already understand the principle of folding space-time and meeting those two points and having a gateway, something, mm -hmm. something. They, mm -hmm. they know the, the possibility of this existing in the universe. It's completely theoretical, but so many things were theoretical just a couple of hundred years ago. I mean, look at what they're doing right now with CERN, with this Higgs boson collider and that the, the, the quark-gluon plasma, that particle that they've created. One sugar cube is 40 or 400 or 40 billion tons. I forget which one. Either one. It's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a goddamn sugar cube. You know? And the, the, the fact that they're going to come up with this, they're, they're, they're hinting that they're really close to discovering the God particle, this Higgs boson particle. Yes. This is us today, 2011. Something a thousand years from now, my thought is always, though, that why would we even see it? They could come as clouds. You don't think they're going to be able to disguise themselves as a fucking tree or just not, uh, not be visible at all, be well, around course. us right now? And that is, the, you know, the same allegory I sometimes like to use is if you have, um, you know, some patio lighting out on your patio and you have a cat and that cat likes to go in the outside in the patio every night and, you know, look up to the sky or look up to the patio lights sees the lights and the cat might think, yeah, this is very pretty, it's beautiful, but that cat has no concept of what goes into those patio lights, that there's electricity, plastic, wiring, all these different things. But, so, which means that that is exactly the concept of extraterrestrials as well, that they can conceivably show up as some type of shapeshifters or something, and not just into people, but into objects or something, because they would use 
exactly the same what we use today, and that's technology. Yeah. But there's something involved where, you know, just because we can't figure it out doesn't mean it does not exist. Yeah. I always say, I always bring up what I call the fart theory when it comes to, uh, to aliens. And my theory is that, this is the, the idea is that if you couldn't smell, if you didn't have a sense of smell, you would have no idea that farts existed. You had no idea that you were just sitting in someone's ass gas, right? You would have no, no clue. But because you have a sense of smell, this invisible thing all of a sudden becomes a reality. How do we not know there aren't a million different senses, a million different things that are around us all the time that we just can't tune into? And all some alien has to do is tune into something that's outside of our spectrum. Tune into something that's not within our natural ability to perceive. I mean, our natural ability to perceive is very similar to the people that lived 10,000 years ago and were throwing fucking, you know, pointed sticks at moving animals. There's a very, very little difference between us genetically now and then. So how do we not know that what the systems that we have in place are all in place for the natural world, all in place for, you know, you hear animals, you know, you, you see moving things, you know, you smell food, you know, they're all in place to keep us alive and keep us successful. We could very well be developing new senses because of Wi-Fi and because of all these cellular <laughs> signals and the, the way human beings. How sick are you right now, buddy? You want to go home? Yeah. Are you that sick? Do you want to go home? I don't want you to get everybody else sick. Colds, perfect example. It's fucking some shit flying through the air in this room right now. That's This guy's sick, and he's got some germs inside of his body. There's some shit that you can't see unless you get a microscope, and they're little invading animals. They're trying to take over and kill him. So his army right now is at war. There's so much shit out there. There's so much shit out there that we can't wrap our heads around. And it's happening right here at this yeah, table. Right now. <laughs> There's <laughs> aliens watching us in this how room. How did you get into um, your field, and how did you get on Ancient Aliens? Well, for that, I really have to uh, thank my, my grandma because uh, growing up, I, I traveled around the world with my, with my parents and they made sure that we would go to all those different museums and uh, archaeological sites and things like that and, you know, have like guided tours by the resident archaeologist or the resident curator and stuff like that. Um, but then, uh, whenever I would come back home, my grandma would say, all right, so you've just been taught about the contempor contemporary ideas of uh, these particular cultures, but let me show you that other ideas and theories exist as well. So she would tell me about Atlantis. She would tell me about you know, the ancient astronaut theory and chariots of the gods and all those different viewpoints that have been proposed by others. So for me, these types of topics um, have been, uh, I've been exposed to those fairly at a, at a fairly young age. I mean, this was all dinner table conversation, um, especially, you know, when my parents or my, my grandparents would visit. Uh, but at the same time, my mom, she always used to say that whenever we would have these, these dis discussions, she would say, you know, I really think that all of this that we have today, it's been here before. And I never knew what she meant. And of course, you know, I was five, six, seven years old. But today, I know exactly and I finally understand what she meant that, you know, this is just a repetition of history. How high was she when she said this? <laughs> hey, was I, was, I was too young, so you I don't know, think... You weren't sure? <laughs> yes, no. Mom's no. in there talking about I, ancient civilizations. I don't you know think so. Up. Not my mom. No, she's, no? she's lovely and all this. My mom but, got high. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. 
And, um, you know, so, so the, the, the question, you know, so today, especially, you know, now that my parents are like, you know, for, for a long time, they were like, ah, you're wasting your time with this, yada, yada. And uh, now all I have to say is that, you know, I am here because of my parents and my grandparents. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's, it was their fault that what, all this happened. What year did Chariots of the Gods came out? It came out like in the 60s? Yeah, it, it was first published in, in German under the title Memories of the Future in 1968. Mm. And then it was a runaway success. And uh, the first English edition came out in 1970. And within, uh, you know, eight months or so, six million copies had been sold. I mean, it was, wow. one, it was an absolute phenomenon <laughs> that they called denikitis. And it was a huge success worldwide. And here we are in 2011, and Chariots of the Gods is still read. Eric von Daniken just turned 77 years old, by the way. He says hello to, to the entire audience. He's very happy and, and excited that I'm on the program, so he says hello. <laughs> really? Yes, absolutely. Is he listening? So we're trying, we're trying to get him on the program, too, oh, here. Oh, yes. bring we'll, him in, We'll, we'll uh, do it remotely I, or something. Uh, Where does he live? He lives in Switzerland. I'll fucking fly out to Switzerland. All right, we'll, we'll definitely set something up. I'll how let it, how I'll weird let was it when you first met him? Was that kind of crazy? Well, I would say it was weird the first time we actually hung out and, you know, had a conversation and stuff because I had, you know, I had gone to some of his lectures when I was, you know, in my early teens. So, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's different so if you meet someone. you've been in the game forever. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I started the magazine that you're, I published. You published, you published Legendary Times 1998. Right? That's when you started? Yeah, wow. 1998. And, uh, and, you and know, Legendary Times is basically all about ancient civilizations. Yes, and, and it's specifically geared towards ancient civilizations in respect to the ancient astronaut theory, suggesting or, or exploring the idea whether or not extraterrestrials, flesh and blood extraterrestrials, visited Earth in the remote past. And by that, I don't mean, you know, a hundred years ago, but we're talking five, six, seven, eight thousand years ago from today. What Sum are you, Sumerians. When you look at it, when you look at the Sumerian text and you look at Von Daniken's work, mm -hmm. what is your gut impression? Would you, I don't think you, if you got, not make a conclusion, which way do you lean? Do you lean 50% that they were, they were here, 50% that maybe something else happened? Like what, how do you, more than 50%? Personally? Yes. 100% that 100%. they were here. Absolutely. Wow. There, what what no gives you the most hope or the most uh, reason to believe this? Well, because it's, I, I, I sometimes liken it to when you're completing a puzzle. It doesn't matter how big the puzzle is, mm -hmm. but the more pieces you put together, the more pieces you fit into place, even when that puzzle is not yet completed, and we've all done puzzles as kids, mm -hmm. it gets easier as you move along. Mm -hmm. But you can uh, you know, stop somewhere uh, three quarters of the way, and you can look at that puzzle and you know exactly what the picture looks like, even though it's not yet complete and there's mm -hmm. a couple of pieces missing. So that is what the ancient astronaut theory to me is like that there are so many indications from all ancient cultures that the conclusion, in my opinion, is inescapable. And I'm not just, you know, saying this, you know, because I'm, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but mm -hmm. because there are stories and there are physical pieces of evidence that the only conclusion that we can draw, unless we go into the realm of the fantastical and the unlikely, is 
that we have been visited by flesh and blood extraterrestrials what, what in the is, past. But what is, like, if you were going to try to convince somebody, what is the most compelling evidence, in your opinion, mm -hmm. that, you know, you said there's, there's evidence where you cannot draw any other conclusion? What is the most compelling? Well, you know, and this is where I truly enjoy and respect the work of many uh, archaeologists around the world, because they are excavating at different, uh, you know, sites and different monuments, and they're truly, you know, breaking their backs for some fantastic research. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes when you look at that research and some of the ideas that they present, um, there are some, you know, faults in, in, in logic there, because they, for example, suggest that uh, we have moved a block that's 1,500 tons heavy, 1,500 metric tons heavy with, a, you know, a, a piece of string and some chicken bones. And today, our cranes, they tap out at 1,350 tons. So if we today... How much difference is that in weight-wise? Oh, th that's, we're talking about 200, and, 200 tons. So yeah. 200 tons shy yes. what we can do today. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, it's heavier. So you think that is the best proof? Well, I mean, there's, there's multiple. I mean, that, that, that one block, for example, is at a city in Lebanon called Baalbek. Yeah, I've and, seen and that. And we've all seen that amazing stone. That's in the Chariots of the God, the movie. Exactly. Incredible. Well. Yes, Heliopolis. Beyond. You've seen it, Eddie, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't even wrap your head around it. You're like, this is not, you can't move this. Who moved this? You got the photos of that? Was it maybe just something <coughs> that we're not thinking of? Like, like it was... You know, underwater at one point, it made it easier to move rocks or anything no, like that. No, or? It, it doesn't make it easier to move something that big. Um, what what the, the the possibilities are? There's two, in my opinion. There's his idea that we've been visited by ancient aliens, and then there's the the idea that civilization has been restarted several times, and that is that there's some sort of a cataclysmic event that's killed almost everybody except for a small amount of stragglers. And they regrouped and rebuilt and rethought things out. And that's one of the reasons why things come so quickly and, and technology is moving so fast. And as your mom said, or it was your grandmother, whoever it was, that we are relearning. We've done this before. That well, is no, possible, right? And it, and it can also be a combination of both. Mm -hmm. You see, that that's the thing, that uh, there are... Can I see that picture? Of the course. This is the one... This is the... the um, this is Baalbek? Yes, this is the Baalbek. It's called the... Um, the Stone of the Pregnant Woman, and uh, it's one of the biggest monoliths that uh, has ever been seen on planet Earth. And, uh, you know, to me, right there, uh, we could not move this with our modern-day cranes. And so, you know, something happened in all of these ancient sites. Because, you know, we know, there's absolutely no question in my mind that our ancestors, I mean, they were extremely smart. They were ingenious. Mm -hmm. And obviously... Uh, did they know how to cut stones and how to transport them and things like that? However, there and I'm not really interested in moving around stones that are cut from limestone or from sandstone and things like this. But what I'm interested in is stuff like this, where it was cut out of granite or out of diorite, where still today we use diamond-tipped saws in order to cut any of these uh, blocks that we cut today. And allegedly, our ancestors did this with copper tools. And I'm sorry, somewhere the logic just fails. because The logic can't. certainly fails that that technology that we attribute to those people, because we have to put them in the Bronze Age and the Copper Age. We, we can't put them in the Age of Steel. 
But to me, the logic is much more likely that, that we were wrong about the age of bronze and the age of steel, and that people had figured out diamond-tipped tools. Like, weren't there? Didn't they find markings inside the sarcophagus in the king's chamber of the the, the Great Pyramid of Giza? Yes. That uh, they believe were attributed only to diamond-headed drills. Absolutely. Right? And in Egypt, we have a very fascinating site called Abydos, and in Abydos, you have a uh, sorry, in Abuzir, not in Abydos. Abydos is where they have to do those weird hieroglyphics. But in Abuzir, you have uh, what's known as uh, signatures of core drills. And a core drill is basically, if you imagine a steel tube tipped with diamonds that drills itself into the ground or into the rock, and then you break it free, you take out that tube, and inside of it you have like a pipe of that, a core drill sample of that particular rock. Now, in Abuzir, we find multiple stones where we can see a signature of these types of uh, machining that took place there. Now, a lot of people have said, oh, well, these are all modern-day occurrences, and uh, it was done, you know, when the first, first uh, modern-day core drill machine was uh, invented in the 19, early 1920s. Now, when you look at the book that Sir F uh, Flinders Petrie wrote, that book was written in 1906, and it already had drawings of those core drill holes in them, which proves that these core drill holes that we can find at Abuzir are not modern-day creations. And that is absolutely crazy, because Christopher Dunn, one of my colleagues, who wrote the Giza Power Plant, he proved, because he's a machinist, I mean, he's an engineer, and he knows this stuff like the back of his hand. So it's not like you know somebody walked along and said, this is how it is, but mm -hmm. this guy, that, that's what he does for a living. He builds machines and he, uh, uh, you know, precision mechanisms and things like this. So he is trained for that kind of uh, you know, investigation. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that there is no way that this could have been done with, uh, with copper tools. I mean, it's just impossible. And so, you know, there's some just wild, wild uh, pieces of evidence that we have out there, like in Puma Punku, for example, highland in the um, Bolivian highlands, at an altitude of 12,500 feet, there is this magnificent place called Tiwanaku that every day hundreds of tourists arrive there and they look at it, they take pictures, and then they leave as clueless as they arrived. And... Um, uh, about 150, 200 yards away from, from Tionaku, there's another site that's very much lesser known called Puma Punku. And at Puma Punku, everything defies, logic is defied at Puma Punku because the blocks of stone that we have there are pure diorite, andesite, and granite. And uh, they are so perfect that we today would have har a hard time recreating some of these blocks. And I actually spoke to uh, a real-life stonemason. His name is Roger Hopkins. And he looked at some of these pictures that I showed him of Puma Punku, and he said that not for any amount of money or for any amount of time would he <coughs> volunteer to try to replicate some of these uh, rocks, uh, some of these blocks. And if a real-life stonemason says this, I mean, God bless the, mm -hmm. the, um, the professors and the archaeologists, but I'd rather listen to someone who cuts stone for a living than someone 
you know, right. who stands before a blackboard. But this guy who cut stone for a living, what he said was that it could be done. He said it would be really hard, and he wouldn't want to do it for any amount of money, but that it could be done. Yes, but, but, only, done but only with, with modern-day, modern yes, right. and, and not with, what, uh, so with chicken bones. If we know that, if we know that it could be done with modern technology, wouldn't it more, be more likely that modern technology is sort of a recreation of what people did learn in the past, and that they probably were wiped out by some sort of a cataclysmic disaster? That, to me, seems way more likely than aliens came and moved rocks right. you know you're saying if like if pe if it'd be really really difficult for people to do it today well mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that would be incredibly difficult for people to do well, today i'm not necessarily suggesting uh, suggesting that aliens move the rocks right what i'm saying is that uh, the aliens uh, that visited earth gave the technology or taught the technology to humans mm -hmm. because what they wanted to 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 do is to leave behind messages that they were here in the past. So all those incredible monuments that we have today, like the pyramids of mm -hmm. Giza, or Stonehenge, or Pumapunku, for example, or Newgrange, all these magnificent sites, uh, Cusco, uh, you know, Machu Picchu in mm -hmm. Peru, that all those places are messages for a future generation to understand that something way different happened in our past that is the main reason why, for example, we have religions today and things like this. So, so you it, think that pretty much all science emanates from some sort of an alien contact? Is that what you think? Uh, no, because no. modern day, because you know, because there's a trace of modern day science. You can follow. Yeah, it. exactly. Right and, now, and let's think about this. What, what age do you think people had technology that sort of any fucking nut that crashed and you know the the tv show lost crash on an island mm -hmm. you could recreate what, what was that like maybe two thousand three thousand years ago no four thousand five thousand yes something 5, something like that so like five six thousand years ago they were basically living like savages right supposedly supposedly Sup clearly supposedly, supposedly yes if you follow look, let's give them 10, no even 000. even even earlier i mean okay look the, the thing but is my it, point i'm sorry just my point was that if in 10,000 years' time, people have gone from being cave-dwelling savages that were throwing pointy sticks at moving animals to people with cell phones and the Internet and wireless. And this is all created, uh, you know, inarguably by human beings. There's a, a record of all these inventions and all these creations. If this has been achieved over 10,000 years, what's to say that there wasn't some sort of a massive disaster that happened at the end of the last ice age or somewhere yep. in in there 20,000 years ago when we date it 15,000 mm -hmm. whatever the fuck it is and that technology died and that civilization died and it had to be reinvented by the surviving humans basically from scratch and that even though human beings had been around for a long 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 time before that and civilization had evolved to an incredibly high level mm -hmm. all that information was lost that to me is way more likely than aliens well but see here's the thing there this is where the difference lies that when let's say the sumerian culture sprung out of virtually nothing and mm -hmm. it happened virtually overnight the sumerians were very clear in stating that they got their start in civilization by what they referred to as the anunnaki and the anunnaki translated into english means those, those who from, from the, the heaven came. came yes yeah. exactly but isn't that true that that's only by that I means zechariah sitchin is pretty much the main 
scholar mm-hmm. of the Sumerian text of Belize. There's a lot of other scholars that do not agree with it. Oh, absolutely. But the translation, even a, a uh, quote-unquote mainstream scientist or sum, uh, Sumerologist will say that Anunnaki means that. I mean, there, that, that is not, for example, Sikorai. Mm-hmm. He did, there are quite a few things that he translated, you know, quote-unquote himself. Uh, so th- that's definitely a valid point. But there are the great majority of what he's talking about has been translated correctly, and he has used, you know, many of the most accessible uh, and, and correct uh, translations that can be found today. But even in the Epic of Gilgamesh, don't they refer to uh, a, a long-gone superior civilization that existed before them? Yes, but that, but that civilization always lived, quote-unquote, somewhere else and in the great dark void. Now, what's the great dark void? That's a beautiful... Pasadena. It's a poetic way of saying Compton. deep, deep that space. Compton would have been better for great dark void. <laughs> Shit, I fucked up. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it is. But, you, you know, you follow me? What I'm saying is that, like, you know, I, I firmly believe that there's, there's life out there. I mean, I think... The possibility is, you know, there's the, the numbers, you know, and I think it's also very possible that it's reached us. But I think if you look at what's more likely, if we absolutely know that people can build immense structures, if we absolutely know that civilization, uh, most likely because of all these uh, historical, you know, uh, depictions of natural disasters, whether it's the Epic of Gilgamesh or Noah's Ark or a hundred different cultures that have stories of uh, apocalyptic disasters mm-hmm. and the volatile nature of uh, the earth itself the fact that we know it's covered in craters the fact that we know that every planet we look at the moon we just see craters all over the place we know about the shifting of the polar ice caps we know about pangea we know that there was intelligent life probably in some sort of a monkey form when pangea was around right yes no absolutely but pangea the- being for people who don't know the, the whole entire world was one continent that's a a theory. And it so drifted apart. I think that, I mean, I just think that if we know for a fact that human beings are capable now of doing spectacular things, and we have said already that if we existed a hundred years more, man, imagine what we would know. Just imagine what has sprung out over the last hundred, three hundred years. You know, and I think you add a few hundred years to that or a thousand years to that, it's not unreasonable, in my opinion, to think that ten thousand years ago, there was some sort of an event, some sort of a catastrophic, maybe it's 15,000, whatever the fuck you name it, a catastrophic event that fucked this world sideways and killed almost everybody. To me, that is just way more likely than these people got it from some higher intelligence. Well, he's saying both of it, a combo of both. Could be. And how many different ancient civilizations tell tell the people where they got their, their knowledge? It's not just the Sumerians. They're all telling you there's an incredible monuments that were puzzle us today. Mm. We're telling you that dudes from Earth or from the, the the heavens came down and showed us, but no one's believing it. We're also telling you that a guy died and came back to Earth three days later and turned water into wine. No, but these these are structures that actually that you can see, and they're scientists baffled by them. What do you what, what structures? What do you mean? Well, what like structures? The, the stuff in South America, the Mayans. Um, all the ancient Sumerian. Well, yeah, but the, the Mayans, you know, they, they, they their shit is uh, totally different. I mean, they believe that a fucking plumed snake created the universe. You know. The, yeah, but the all, but, hold, but hold on a second now. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. What 
what is behind the story of the plume snake? Mushrooms like a motherfucker in the jungle, (laughs) hanging out, banging hot Mayan chicks, chilling. I mean, that's that's, that's definitely an idea and a a, a possibility. Playing football with human heads. But I'm trying to figure out what are the realities behind those stories. I certainly think it's a possibility. I'm not ruling out that possibility. Oh, no, of course not. But, you know, it is definitely a combination because the, the bottom line is that all these ancient cultures are very adamant and very specific in saying mm-hmm. that this all happened because of a visit from beings from the stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the star thing is very prevalent. If it were a previous civilization, or if it were, let's say, human beings, because sometimes people say, well, how come, you don't, how, how come you're not talking about that maybe it w- it's our civilization from the future that traveled into the past, to help us with certain developments. Well, that, that can't be true because nowhere in the ancient texts do we find any reference where it says, well, we're just like you, but we're from the future. Maybe it's just future bullshit artists. That's <laughs> what those little gray dudes are. They're just completely full of shit. They're us from the future, but they fuck with us the same way we fuck with monkeys. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you, if you get in the cage, I'll give you a banana. And the monkey gets in the cage, and you just steal him and take him to the zoo. <laughs> And you give him that banana, and he's like, what the fuck? The, the crazy thing about Zachariah Sitchin, when people question his translations, are the things that he got right in the 70s that, he, that we're finding mm. out just today in, like, 2001, 2002, that in the stories that he's talking about with the Anunnaki, he's saying, in a nutshell, that this uh, uh, hyper-advanced race is created us as slaves to mine gold because they needed gold dust particles to suspend in their atmosphere to protect their planet. Well, we just discovered in the 2000s that, hey, you actually do protect atmospheres by sp- suspending metallic products. How the hell did an archaeologist know some astrophysics in the 70s? That's an intense shift. Yeah, well, it is possible that they were really sophisticated <coughs> seven, 8,000 years ago, and they knew that we were eventually going to run into the same problems again. I mean, they were, maybe they were burning shit back then that was eating up the ozone layer. Maybe right. they were fucking with chemicals back then, just like we are now. But they're... So that would mean they were super smart. Yeah. But they're telling you specifically the reason the, why they they how have it they yes. Yeah, well they is figured it out just like we stone? figured it out. Just like we figured it out now and they figured it out then. No, but they're telling you how they figured it out. Yeah. They they're, they're saying they're, they're, they're saying they got it from the Anunnaki. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But again, this uh, I, I don't know. See, I I don't know enough about language to argue against or for Sitchin. But I know that he's a rogue scholar. He's not the only one, though. I mean, or, or the Anunnaki or the Sumerian stories are not the only stories that we find concise true, pieces yeah, right? of evidence. The Dogons, right? Yes. They I mean, the they have completely such detailed astronomical knowledge, which was not corroborated until the 19, early 1960s. Mm-hmm. And st- there are still people that say, oh, this is a complete hoax, when it really isn't. I mean, they knew about invisible stars that were then later truly corroborated by NASA and other astrophysicists. I mean, how on earth would they know something like this and Dogon give you the answers that they were visited by somebody that descended from the sky? And then who are we to say that these people are lying or that they made up fantasy stories? Because that, to me, is the insult, right? When people say... I'll insult the fuck out of some old tribes. <laughs> don't shit. No, no, no. Goofy fucks, no, no, I'm not, snakes. No, I'm just referring to, you know, because people, you know, archaeologists may, right. or debunkers are saying, mm-hmm. well, you know, 
you you guys attribute everything to alien intervention and uh, you know you undermine the human human ingenuity you're suggesting that you know our ancestors were stupid and and nothing could be further from the truth because obviously nothing happened in our brain development in the last 50,000 years if you bring back uh, someone from 10,000 years ago to today um you can teach that person how to drive a car you can teach that person even to fly a plane no problem because intellectually speaking they're as capable as we are today however there was one huge difference and that is their technological frame of reference was different or smaller than what we have today so when we have stories of flying shields or dragons or you know smoking uh, uh, snakes and plumes and, and, and plume snakes and things like that then my question is, well, what was it exactly that our ancestors tried to describe with their vocabulary? Because they didn't have the vocabulary for rocket or for, you know, so they had to liken a rocket to a blazing oven or something like this or, you know, a gleaming bronze uh, monster and things like that. So therein lies, lies the big difference. And so when archaeologists then say, well, you know, uh, you, you're saying that I undermine human ingenuity from the past. It's like, no, I'm really not because I am reading to you exactly that these same people said that they received their knowledge from these humanoid beings that descended from the sky. So you think that that's the, uh, the, the most compelling piece of evidence to you is uh, human beings' uh, depictions of what was going on, like the Vimanas or, you know, in the... No, I mean, that like is that. definitely, see, that, and that's the great thing about the ancient alien theory, that you can, you know, it's such an interdisciplinary field of research that, you know, you can look at ancient Egypt and you can look at South America and, and draw correlations. I mean, they found, uh, you know, crazy correlations between those two cultures, for example, where they found cocaine in mummies and, and things like that, where cocaine was only, you know, available in one country. Yeah. And so, so it was just definitely, I mean, something definitely happened that there was trade between all continents. And personally, I suggest that trade didn't necessarily happen on, on water, but that they actually had, you know, aircraft, because that is what the ancient texts are saying. Not only in India with the Vimanas, but also in, um, in the Hebrew and in the Ethiopian uh, cultures, uh, you have uh, the story of King Solomon and his flying carpet and, and his flying machine. Didn't your show um, take an artifact and yes. recreate it? Explain that. Tell me about what happened there. Well, where was the artifact from? It's from South America, from Colombia, and uh, it's a gold funerary object. It's a totem that uh, hundreds, I'm mean, sorry, thousands and thousands of those little artifacts have been found, and they were usually shaped in the form of frogs and uh, insects and fish and crocodiles and things like that. However, out of those thousands of funerary objects that have been found, about eight were found worldwide that look like modern-day airplanes. And so these two engineers, in, uh, one, one doctor and, and one engineer in Germany, what they did is in the early, in the mid-90s, in 1996, they took one of those uh, little funerary objects and they blew it up 
to ratio and to size without adding an inch or, or subtracting an inch. I mean, they just basically blew it up to about three to four feet long. Yeah, it looks exactly like the exactly. Old and uh, they put a propeller inside, and they had, and they tried multiple objects. I mean, they didn't just do one that they thought, well, this one is most likely like a looks most likely like a plane, so let's just do this one. No, they took a whole bunch of them and they recreated them as as model planes. They threw them up, up in the air, and they were 100% um, aerodynamically sound. They were able to do rolls and and looping loops and and stuff like that. I mean, they were 100%. Uh, you know, they were airplanes, and yeah. even to the untrained eye, uh, they they look like planes. They because, unquestionably, yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing that you know a lot of no, people. Uh, are what do they say about this? Yeah, so well, they say that these are also fish or insects, but well, you know, you look at that. That's an airplane. Well, because the here's they, the thing. Well, because up. it's it, first of all, it's got a delta shape and a fuselage. And then you have the stabilizers in the back, and you've got an upright rudder, mm -hmm. and no living creature in nature it, it, it's, it, it yeah. does not exist yeah. plus the wing formation is a low wing formation where the, where the wings are attached to the bottom of the fuselage or the body exactly and we have our uh, wings or arms attached like uh, the birds on the shoulder girdle and that formation that we can find in the Colombian artifact does not it doesn't, it doesn't suggest And how old is that artifact? 1,500 to 1,600 years old. God damn. Yeah, so uh, Tolima region in, in Colombia and pre-Columbian artifact. And it's, uh, you know, so, so those are all those little things that, you know, all fit together somehow. And in my opinion, they had something to do with uh, flesh and blood aliens who visited in the remote past. It's so weird that our history is so incomplete. That's why we're having this debate. The reason why we're having this debate is because, you know, that the history is so sketchy. When you get just a few thousand years ago, it's like, who the fuck knows, man? And it doesn't help when you get these conventional archaeologists that are so fucking set in their ways, man. This Robert Schock, John Anthony West thing that's going on in Egypt in, in pertaining to the, the dating of the Sphinx. Mm -hmm. I, I find their research fascinating. What I find more fascinating is how these mainstream Egyptologists just, just poo-poo it. Like, oh, where, where's the evidence of this culture? Like, the, the argument they had was so childish. It was so egotistical. Yeah. The guy was standing up going, you know, you're talking about the Sphinx being predating, you know, 9000 BC. Where's the evidence of this culture that's willing to? Where's the evidence? Like, wh what the fuck do you think is going to be there, sir? What do you think is going to be there after 11,000 years? You're talking 9000 BC. Mm -hmm. How much is going to be left, man? I'll tell you what's going to be left: rocks. And there's your evidence: geological rocks that are so fucked up by water that it has to be thousands of years of rainfall. You know, that is unanimous. When geologists look at the Sphinx enclosure and they, and they um, show uh, photographs of the water, the water erosion of the fissures, they're 100% agreed that it's water erosion due to thousands of years of rainfall. By the way, rainfall too, not just flooding, not like one crazy flood, no, thousands sure. of years. So that just shows you it has to be older than 9000 BC because that was the last time there was flooding or there was a rainforest in the Nile Valley. No, and the crazy thing is also that their research is corroborated by other research as well. When my colleague Robert Boval came out with the Orion mystery and when he 
suggested that if you look at the great the three great pyramids at Giza from a bird's eye perspective you see that the three are you know sort of lined up but not completely they're not in a straight line that the smallest pyramid is a bit off and he's like well that's really strange so what's going on here and then he determined that these three pyramids are in fact built to the exact ratio of Orion's the three stars in Orion's belt I had heard, though, that the only way you could see the three stars from that angle, you would have to look at everything upside down from, like, like that it doesn't actually work that way, that it was disproven, that you can, you, you, you can see it that way, but not from Earth, not from, not from the way we look at it. You would have to reverse everything. Is that true? Yes. I mean, look, the, the, the general idea still holds mm -hmm. uh, even though the the upside down theory is, is possibly correct i i'm not sure of that to be honest with you i'm not sure of it either i however, watched a video i think however what he did determine is the fact that the time if you were to put three floodlights on top of each tip of the pyramid and uh, fire it straight into the sky you know like at the luxor in las vegas mm -hmm. the big beam the the time when the three tips of those pyramids would line up exactly with Orion's belt, and you have software for this where you can, you know, rewind back the night sky on the computer these days, um, it would be in 12,500 12, years ago, which Boval uh, labeled or is known in Egyptology as the Golden Age, when the gods still walked amongst men. And so the fact that the pyramid also, I mean, the, uh, the Sphinx also dates to 9000 BC, well, that's, that's the golden age that everybody talks about in, in, in Egypt. And However, really, 9000 BC, thousands of years earlier, it has to exist because of the thousands of years of rainfall. So you are talking exactly. maybe 10,500 BC, maybe 11 or more. So the, the fact is that, the, and there are ancient texts that that talk about these uh, these um, these previous cultures or these previous uh, uh, periods of uh, other kings and uh, that that lived in the Egyptian uh, uh, region, but they're considered to be fantasy stories by archaeologists. Right, saying even there the is no depictions way. of the pharaohs yes. of like thirty four thousand years ago, aren't there? I mean, I believe John Anthony West has stated that it yeah. goes back almost 30,000 or more years. There is, a, there is a king's list out there, and everybody can go Google this tonight. It's called WB44, and that king's list absolutely will boggle your mind because it basically lists a combined age of kings that ruled for a half a million years before our culture. Well, now you know it, it, it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy, and so and, and that is a list that can be found at the uh, British Museum in England in London. Where is it from? Uh, it's from Samaria, and uh, it's WB44. And it lists for how lo how long? How old? For hundreds of thousands of years, and some of these kings. It says have re reigned for sixteen thousand years, for forty-eight thousand years. One and then king. The, one king. And then the question is, well, how is this even possible? They got all that Aubrey de Grey type shit. They were working that back then, man. Or they, or are we talking about time dilation? Time dilation. What do you or mean? Or if you travel at close to the speed of light, if on your spaceship five years pass and you travel at ninety-nine point nine percent of the speed of light. 5,000 years pass here on Earth. 
and that's just uh, the theory of relativity, which is, uh, you know, and it takes uh, time dilation into account. I mean, like anyone that flies a lot, those people are actually aging slower than the rest of us. So the more you are in motion, the slower you age. And so this is a mathematically viable and proven theory that if you travel close, which, which of course we, we are not capable of doing yet, but just because we human beings can't do it doesn't mean it does not exist. And that's the big, you know, argument. So this dude would, like, come down here, fuck with some shit, and go, yeah, I'll be right back. And then he comes back, like, 16,000 years, because to him it's only a year. Yep, exactly. But he, but he goes at the speed of light or whatever the hell he goes, and he comes back. Yes, and it sounds like f science fiction, but who says that that is not possible? And that is that a, an interesting way to stay valid. You just say, listen, bitch, I am coming back. <laughs> and then you actually do come back? And, th and those are the stories that we find that these quote-unquote gods, which, by the way, they never existed. It's all lowercase g. There is no such thing as gods. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely, uh, it was a complete misunderstanding, a misinterpretation of our ancestors who didn't understand the nuts and bolts technologies behind these visits, and they, so they started to worship these people. And those visitors knew exactly that they were being worshipped because, you know, it would be the same thing that if we arrive on a planet one day in the future, 5,000 or, or whatever years from now, and we find a quote-unquote intelligent species, but they're a bit primitive, yeah, well, you know, we'll push them a little bit in the right direction, show them how to, you know, to complete agriculture and medicine and, and architecture and all those things, and then We'll just say, okay, we're, we're going to disappear again. Well, guess what? Our once real visit will turn into, will enter the realm of mythology a thousand or two thousand years after our visit. And so one day, all of us, all human beings, will become ancient astronauts on some other planet. It's just, it's just a, you know, it's an I eternal wheel. I have a question. Um, you're a master of ancient cultures. Most ancient cultures hey, get up, predict. Get up, get up close to the mic. Most yeah. ancient cultures have some kind of 2012 uh, warning, or uh, it signifies some the end of some age. Or what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I really need you to pay attention to this because I think that the the biggest threat that we face on December 22nd, 2012, is the massive hangover. <laughs> that we'll all be suffering. So uh, that's about it. Look, because I mean, there's the a lot of 2012 stuff with uh, Zachariah Sitchin. Of so, course, of course. So and so you know, here's the thing that what did Zachariah Sitchin think 2012? Nibiru man? was gonna, you know, even though yeah. that's like a year away. Wouldn't we be able to see it? Wouldn't yeah. Like look, here's the thing that you know, the whole 2012 thing, in my opinion, is is nothing else but a complete. Um, it's it's mass it's hysteria. Mean. Thank you. Know? Absolutely, but because not, not to Zachariah Sitchin, though. Yeah, well, he even he uh, he re right before or a year before he died, he re rephrased his um, theory by saying that if 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 at all Nibiru were to return, it's going to be around twenty thirty six or twenty thirty eight or something. Damn, like it that. changed it. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. But you know, th that's neither here nor there because the bottom line is that the big problem with twenty twelve is the fact that. It's not even 2011 right now. That's what nobody talks about, that, you know, we, our calendar 
is wrong. Because if there's a couple of arguments that you can make, and that is, you know, if you look at our quote-unquote history, we went from 1 BC to 1 AD without a year zero, which means that we are already at least by one year off. So it's either 2012 already or it's still 2010. And then, you know, we don't know whether or not our calendar, or we, we also um, know that Jesus was not born in the year zero, but scholars, and I'm talking theologi theological scholars now, have determined that Jesus was born between 5 and 3 AD. So right well, there, born. exactly. So right there, we've got another five years, uh, you know, we, we, considering the fact that we're being told that our calendar began ticking on the day of Jesus' birth. So long story short, in the third, uh, third argument is also that it is now Berkeley scholars and uh, scholars in, at the university, in, at a university in Rome, have determined that in the Middle Ages, when the monks were in charge of uh, recording our dates and everything like that, that they also made a mistake up to five years. So, um, the interesting thing is that, uh, to make a long story short, that we could be as far off as 10 years with our current date. And if you take into consideration when did our calendar really start ticking? Did, was it at the, uh, at the time when Jesus died? Or was it at the time when he was uh, uh, nailed to the cross? Who knows these things? I mean, some have suggested that we're off by 200 years. And these are not people that, you know, um, just pulled this stuff out of their butts, but they're scholars at universities who, you know, have studied this stuff. And so the bottom line is that the whole 2012 it's, it's nothing else but complete hysteria and nothing, let me repeat, absolutely nothing will happen next year. Dude, well, you got to talk to Daniel Pinchback because he's written books and he doesn't agree with you. That's fine. He thinks Quetzalcoatl is coming. And, and God bless him, and Quetzalcoatl will not come. <coughs> I'm now... That, didn't and by they the way, and, and by the way, Quetzalcoatl was uh, an extraterrestrial spaceship. You think so? Oh, absolutely. Um, didn't they predict that um, the Mayans uh, pr accurately predicted the sonar lunar eclipses yes. in the future? Yes. So if they predicted that, how is it possible that we say they predicted it right? We must be following their timeline. If right. we're following their timeline, then it must be 2012. Oh, no, absolutely. You're right. But if, if our calendar from the very beginning was is wrong then we are basing our wrong calendar on their cal calculation right but if we're basing our wrong calendar on their calculations and it lines up with what we call 1990 what we call 2012 then shouldn't it be that they got the lunar eclipses right so they got 2012 right no they definitely have 2012 right and by the way t t the only they do? thing yes but not yes in their counting. In their count, but not ours. Yes, but, exactly. But how is their counting like line up exactly with ours when it comes to the prediction of solar and lunar eclipses then? Well, solar and lunar eclipses, it doesn't matter what you're in. Right, but they, they accurately depicted the year that these solar and lunar eclipses were yes, going to take place we, but according we, to our calendar. But we, we superimposed their counting onto ours. Okay, yes. so we tried to make it fit. Yes, Exactly. Oh, okay. So, 
you see, and, and here's the other thing that's tricky with, when you get two calendars too, right? Like oh, one completely. a completely different type yes. of calendar than ours. And so, it, so there must be something happening in two, December 21st, 2012. That must signify at the end of the 13th Baktun. What does that mean? And that is exactly the, the long count. And that is the exact thing that, you know, the Mayans, not once, not once did they ever say that the world was going to end. The only thing they said is that one period of time ends and a new period of time begins. So it could That's be it. that, you know, if you believe, uh, some people believe that time has uh, certain qualities to it, that there are times when things are easier and times when things are harder, and that th this is literally like an ebb and flow like the tides, and that perhaps what the Mayans were predicting is just some new stage of, of humanity, some new stage of existence, some new stage of the Earth or the universe, that this thing just, things just keep flowing in this sort of a circular direction. Well, yeah, I mean, look, everything, as we know, is, is cyclical, so, mm -hmm. yeah. so that is definitely, you and know. They, they, they mastered the procession of the equinoxes, Yes, and they had figured that out. They had figured out a lot of cycles that were but, really complex. But who taught them this? And they're also very Mushrooms, <laughs> mushrooms, and a lot of free time. And then also... So the aliens who are dressed up as little mushroom mascots. The aliens might that's be That's what mushrooms. it is. <laughs> now, what do you say to people that uh, say, well... How do we know Jesus really even existed? Yeah, isn't there like DVDs and stuff that? Did, what was that DVD? The God, yeah, the God was? wasn't there. The mm -hmm. God that wasn't there. Yeah, there's a lot of like, people kind of, that kind of argue scientifically that he's not a not a real figure. I, you know, I I personally think that Jesus 100 percent was a historical figure. Do you there's, think he was an alien? No, no, no. <laughs> and and neither was Buddha, and neither were any of the other quote unquote. What about just a regular saints? astronaut? No. <laughs> no, I, I just think that, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, was a historical figure, was able to move people, but uh, that, that uh, he was the son of God, in my opinion, is nonsense because we are all the sons and daughters of God. We but all what, have the divine within our hearts. But what kind of proof, I mean, you've studied a lot of ancient cultures, obviously. What kind, do you know of any proof that would... That Jesus existed. Exactly. Well, I mean, there, the, the, we have stories... We have uh, the texts that have been written down at the time, the, like the Qumran texts of the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and things like that. So, I mean, obviously nobody took a picture, and, uh, you know, th there are some... Well, the um, Qumran texts is where you get real squirrely, because the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's where it's, uh, they trace it back to an ancient Sumerian word. Christ is an ancient Sumerian word that means a mushroom covered in God's semen. Well, interesting. John Marco Allegro story. Yes, about all that. interestingly enough, uh, what's also fascinating and what many people don't know is that before Jesus, there were 15 other crucified, quote-unquote, saviors in human history. Right. And so it's all very bizarre that, uh, you know, Christianity claims that uh, he was the only one, which is completely untrue. Well, when you measure his story next to all these other stories, I mean, even Hercules, Hercules and, and Jesus are pretty fucking close. A lot of goddamn similarities. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that we've always been looking for a savior. We've always been looking for a one, a one thing. And then you think that's just like some alpha male chimpanzee thing where you look for the alpha and you think somehow you know that one point at one point in time there was a super alpha and the super alpha had all the answers is it just a myth to keep people going what is that i mean what what is the the need for this this super alpha do you think that it signifies 
this alien intervention in human history? Is that what you is that what you personally believe? No, I I, I just think that uh, a lot of times people are not happy with uh, their own thoughts that they need to. But there's a theme. And yeah, the theme no, is that at one point is. in time there was a god. The theme exists in all of them. All of the different religions all talk about one point in time there mm-hmm. was a god, and this god had all the answers. And he, this is the shit that he wrote down. Or this is the shit that he told people. Well, yes, we but, but here's the thing that you know. I mean, uh, if, if uh, you want to look at the Old Testament, where we have a, a description of quote unquote God, in the ancient astronaut opinion whatever or whoever was described in the Old Testament, and this is exclusively referring to the Old Testament, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the New like Testament. the Ezekiel shit. Yes. That whatever or whoever was described in the Old Testament, by all means, was not God. That being or that humanoid ex- uh, 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 creature that, that was here was misinterpreted or thought as God as something divine, something spiritual, something more advanced, something but it was magical. Alien. It was one hundred percent. Jesus. So Jesus was an alien. No, I just said that has nothing to do with the New Testament. No <laughs> okay, way. Old Testament. No, no, no. Old Testament. Old Testament. Yes. So God was an alien, and Jesus well, was just no, a no. See, it was not God. That's okay. the thing that it was, it, our ancestors thought it was God. Because see, a lot of people say, "Well, does that mean you're an atheist? Does that mean you don't believe in God?" And, you know, because a lot of debunkers uh, or, or actually uh, uh, creationists are always uh, using Albert Einstein as their best example where they say, see, even Albert Einstein, he believes in God, so, you know, we must be right with our ideas. Well, that is only half of the story because when Albert Einstein was asked as a journalist, uh, when, an, uh, when a journalist asked Albert Einstein, do you believe in God? What Einstein said, and anyone can go and look this up, is the fact that he replied by saying, well, dear journalist, before I can answer your question, we have to define what your definition or your idea of God is. And then the journalist said, well, I believe in the Old Testament God uh, and creator. And then... Albert said, well, if that is your definition of God, then I respectfully will tell you that I do not believe in God. And then he's like, well, then, so what are you talking about? And Einstein then explained his definition or his idea of God and the universe and the order that we have in the universe amidst chaos. And he said, and if that is what, what, and this to me is my idea of God, that there's some order to the universe because, you know, God does not throw dice. That's one of his most famous quotes. So therein lies the difference that, yes, I do think that there is an all-encompassing force out there, but it's not a personal God. It's not where, you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I pray and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm praying for something to happen. I mean, that to me is a waste of time, to be honest with you. It's like if you want something to happen, you gotta go out there and do it yourself, no matter what you the do. But I are. think the reason why the idea of prayer exists is because people can manifest things with mm-hmm. their own thoughts and and staying positive and and focusing on a goal and making yes. things happen to a certain extent. But thought, but but that to me is just thought. Yeah, and well, that to, but the it, idea of prayer, prayer is just advanced thought. Right, just but the moment, but the, but the moment that see that therein to me, that's where it gets a bit right. wacky because the moment that you correlate your own powers, your mm-hmm. own 
you know, the connection to the universe that you have. The moment that you connect that to a personal God mm-hmm. and put everything that you have, you basically deny all responsibility. You, you, you say, okay, fine, God will take care of it. That, to me, is such a cop-out attitude. It's like, you know, why? No, be responsible for your own actions and don't rely on no, someone I, else. No, I completely agree, but I think that that's where the idea of prayer came from, the reason why it exists to this day, because you can sort of make things happen if you focus on them for a long period of time, and people who have been successful at making things happen have, like, stepped back and said, oh, look, you know, we, we made this happen by prayer. We thought this through. Get, yeah. a, get a cough drop, bro. Open it up. Don't be scared. You need one. Stop coughing. Poor little sicky. Poor little sicky, Brian. Now, um, you've been doing this for a long time now. You said 1998 you started out your, your, your magazine. How do you get approached to be doing this ancient alien show? How does this happen? Do they just seek out people with, you know, sort of fringe beliefs and, and, uh, and people that are experts on these subjects? No, it was actually a very funny story. And that was, if you remember, in 2008, that new Indiana Jones movie came out, mm-hmm. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And uh, it's kind of a disaster of a movie, in my opinion, but whatever. Was it? They're making another one. Can you believe it? I, I, to redeem themselves, I hope. Uh-huh. Make yeah. it worse. No, 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 no. no. I, I, it can't All get those worse. Guys, it can't they, get worse. Just, they just don't seem to be making the same quality anyway, the, of movies. Anyway, the, the great thing about the movie itself was, you know, the idea behind it was great, and but the execution was horrid. Uh-huh. Um, it was basically an ancient alien movie where, you know, he was chasing a uh, crystal skull, uh-huh. and the crystal skull happened to be an extraterrestrial origin, this and that. So um, the History Channel made a two-hour documentary about Indiana Jones and the feasibility behind, uh, you know, all the stuff that he chased down. And so it was one segment about uh, crystal skulls in which I appeared and, uh, you know, talked about the possibility whether the the Mitchell Hedges skull, for example, was in fact or could in fact be an extraterrestrial artifact. And the Mitchell Hedges skull is... What is that? The Mitchell Hedges skull is one of the most perfect, or actually the most perfect crystal skull... M I T C H E L L dash Hedges H E D G E S Mitchell Hedges skull, and that skull was found in Belize by uh, by Mitchell Hedges' daughter on her birthday, and uh, it's this crystal clear crystal that um, was found in the shape of a humanoid head. I mean, it's, it's massive. It's, it's really big. If you go to MitchellHedges.com, they have a countdown to Revelation. 480 yeah, see, days. It's, it's, it's <laughs> gloom and doom once again. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's, it's a dope-looking skull. And what did you say about this skull? And, and some also, of them have been disproved, right? But this yes. one hasn't Yeah, and then there's no question about that. And in fact, you know, <laughs> with this one here, it's, uh, it's so magnificent where the, you can actually detach the jawbone uh, from it, and, you, and, which means that it, and it's from the same crystal, which means it had to be one big freaking rock out of which this uh, whole thing was was made mm-hmm. and and when was it found uh, in the early 1900s and when when Mitchell Hedges or the actual um, caretaker uh, after Mitchell Hedges died and and Anna took over or, or kept the skull uh, she and and her 
this other dude whose name escapes me right now, it, I think it's Dan uh, Nisarino or something, they brought it in the 1960s to the labs up in the Bay Area of Hewlett Packard. And even in the day, of course, only the best scientists worked at these particular uh, you know, factories and labs. And when the Hewlett Packard uh, scientists were done with all their research, their conclusion was very simple. And they said, and I quote, this skull should not exist. And uh, meaning that it was, they did not find any tool marks, they did not find any polish, or any evidence that this thing was polished or anything like that. And even more crazy is the fact that each crystal it um, grows in a particular axis. And in order to work crystal, you have to turn the crystal at high speeds in that direction of the axis. And according to the Hewlett-Packard people, it was ground against its grain. And that would shatter every crystal that you would do this to. And the crystal hedges, I mean, the Mitchell hedges skull, um, it, it still exists, and it shouldn't. So it's it's a big mystery, and yes, like you know, some crystal skulls have been determined that they are, you know, modern day creations, but not the Mitchell Hedges skull. Hmm. Again, hmm. that could be another tool that we're not they used to have back in the day that we're not thinking about, though, right? Of course, yeah, of course, yeah, sure, of could course. Be. And so this is how you got hooked up with the History Channel, and then they're like, "We like this dude with the crazy hair." <laughs> Let's bring them in. No, what do you think I, about Nazis? No, and then I and then I got a call and I was asked, you know, uh, have I, had I heard of uh, of a book called Chariots of the Gods and Eric von Danik? And I said, of course, uh, you know, we we publish a magazine together and this and that, and and here we are today. I mean, it was just a, an idea to to shoot a, a, a two hour documentary forty years after Chariots of the Gods. I got in an argument with a, a, a journalist when I first came to Hollywood. It wasn't really an argument. It was a, a talk at one of these they had this uh it was fox i was on fox they had a, a party for a sitcom i was on mm -hmm. and uh the guy said hey can i ask you a couple of questions and he goes okay so he rattles off a bunch of questions and uh one of them was do you believe in aliens and uh i think i said yeah and he said why and i said well i saw this thing chariots of the gods and uh, it's a pretty incredible movie and i think uh it's it's more than possible there's a lot of stars out there and he started going off on how chariots of the gods was bullshit and he goes, oh, it's been completely debunked. And so I'm pretty calm about that kind of stuff. I go, all right, well, how is it debunked? And he had no answer. And I said, but yet you're, you're so convinced that it's debunked. Well, I, I know I read that it had been debunked. I go, but you don't remember what you read. But yet, what did, did you read, Chariots of the Gods? And he's like, no, I didn't read it. But I mean, I know it's all about aliens, and aliens came and made these structures. And was a, I'm like, wow, dude, you're, you're pretty convinced. You know, it's weird. But it was like... A sensible man doesn't believe such silly things, and that is the the whole attitude about aliens, about extraterrestrials, or even about ancient civilizations. You know, the sensible man doesn't buy into such nonsense, and you must have had to deal with that your whole fucking life. Oh no, absolutely, and and, and that's the thing. And that's where you could just go wacky with the hair and the jewelry, and you're yeah, like, fuck it, not? bitch, I'm going deep. Yeah, you know, going it's deep like, into the know, crazy I'm, hole. I'm still the same guy from ten years ago. You know, that's mm -hmm. the thing that you know. It, it, it's like to me. You know, especially the Chariots of the Gods argument that, you know, von Daniken has been debunked and mm -hmm. things like that. It's like, really? I mean, have you looked at this stuff? Because 
the bottom line is that Chariots of the Gods had over 200 question marks in it. It even had a freaking question mark mm -hmm. in the fucking title. Right. So, I mean, right there, yeah. it was a question. Right. It is a idea. It's raising questions. And if those questions happen to be uncomfortable questions, well, you know what? So be it. Because or if a couple of them are wrong, you're talking about a lot of goddamn questions in well, that book. Well, here's the thing. Now, let me, let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw a scientist or, or any author or whatever uh, give a, you know, 30 years after their first publication and uh, say, well, you know, on page so-and-so, I made a mistake. When Chariots of the Gods came out as the 35-year uh, edition, the 35-year anniversary edition, Eric wrote a 16-page um, preface to the new edition, and in that, he pointed out exactly what, which mistakes he made in the 1968 or 1970 book on what page and on, you know, what happened here. For example, one, one example is the, that uh, uh, the Iron Pillar in New Delhi. For a long time, you know, we, we thought that this might be uh, something that is of extraterrestrial origin, or at least that extraterrestrials taught these metallurgists how to pour this uh, uh, pillar of iron, because up to that time, it didn't corrode, it didn't rust, and it's been, it had been around for many, many years, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And guess what? The thing is rusting today, it's corroding. So you know what? That piece of evidence, out the window you know what, who cares? Because the conclusion is that it, in, in case a piece of evidence turns out to be wrong or false, if you eliminate that piece of evidence, it only makes the overall theory stronger because you eliminate false stuff. So to suggest that just because there were a few mistakes in Chariots of the Gods, which Eric openly admitted to, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the whole ancient alien theory all of a sudden becomes irrelevant. On the contrary, it makes it more stronger. And the fact that today, especially on, on the show Ancient Aliens, I mean, by the way, tomorrow is the premiere of season three. I'm very excited about that. What's Th going on? What's going Thursday on Thursday night? Uh, well, Can you preview us? Can you tell us? Give us some scoops. Any Nazi stuff? There is definitely um, stuff in there that has not been explored in the previous season. The History Channel needs to combine Nazis, UFOs, and ghosts together. And cowboys. And monsters. <laughs> one all fucking smash em up show. And, uh, you know, so... I lost my train of thought. Was the new oh, season of the yes, History it, Channel, exactly. Ancient that, Aliens special. Especially now in season three. It's amazing how many university professors have come forward and agreed to be on a show called Ancient Fucking Aliens. Are you kidding me? The fact that university professors, because as you know, you, you're in TV, you have to disclose what show you're calling from or what show you're going to be on. You can't just, you know, put a question mark there. So the fact that university professors are now coming forward, especially for season three, to, to appear on that show. I mean, that speaks volumes. I mean, it's huge that, that all of a sudden, you know, Eric Van Danik and Childress and I and Martell and Coppins, we're surrounded by people from MIT.
talking about ancient aliens. And what are exactly these uh, professors on about? What is their, their, their subjects of expertise? What are they uh, well, testifying I mean, about? We, 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 for example, uh, in, in this episode to, that airs tomorrow, uh, Aliens and the Old West, we have uh, professors, uh, not only do we have uh, elders, uh, Native American elders who are talking about the, the idea of star people in, in the ancient uh, American West, but also um, there are professors that we've gotten from universities and curators of museums where they corroborate the stories about the star people. And so... Like how do they do that? Well, because they they are uh, they have access to many many recordings uh, that were written down by you know a, a previous um, in the old west things for the first time would be able to be recorded because in, in ancient uh, uh, Native American times their traditions were brought from generation to generation spoken words right? spoken words exactly and then when you know white man came yeah i guess unfortunately you know the whole thing was recorded all of a sudden and so we have very old recordings st talking about these star people that came allegedly a long time ago and so that is a huge huge part of our theory that there are entire cultures for example native americans that talk about the uh, kachinas descending from the sky in flying shields and they were very adamant because of course native americans you know believe in the, the spiritual realm there's no question but they're also very adamant to say that there are two worlds there is the spiritual realm and then there is also the physical realm and that the star people were part of the physical realm and here we are to say, oh, well, you know, they didn't know what they were talking peyote. about because they were just all high. They were getting that peyote. Which, you know, I mean, of course, I mean, th there is not one culture in the world that did not dabble in, in mind-altering drugs. I mean, it's, it's just a, 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 a complete, uh, it's who we are as a people. There is no question about that. But at the same time, there were always these different levels that, yes, this, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the spiritual realm does exist. But we also have a physical realm in which our ancestors said that somebody came in a physical form. So you think that there's probably some sort of an advanced life or some sort of a different life in a, in a non-material form as well yes. like there's some sort of a spiritual realm 100 dimension or something Absolutely. of something something else some yeah. sort of intelligent life and then there's physical life yeah. as well and you know me i'm the nuts else. and bolts alien guy right? right but at the same time i would be a fool to deny or to even suggest that that a ethereal realm does not exist because that would render our physical world completely useless if if that's all there is because a lot of people are saying well you know if you die all that's going to happen is that you know they're going to basically just pull the plug from the computer hard drive and things like that and that's usually the argument that they give but the bottom line is that's not necessarily true because if you keep your computer in a very safe place and you can leave it there unplugged for a million years 
If you find a power source a million years down the road and you plug that computer back in, guess what? Everything on that hard drive is still there. So what if the hard drive is the soul? And therefore, once we die, our soul goes with us. It's th that's who we are as an essence. Yes, we, we will leave this body, but at the same time, energy does not die. It goes on in some form. So to suggest that after this life, it's all over, I cannot process that. What it do you think no of uh, Kurzweil and Ray Kurzweil's ideas of d downloading human consciousness into inte intelligent computers and the idea of you will be able to duplicate yourself and live forever <laughs> in some sort of cyber environment? I, I think it's fascinating, and and you but know what happens with the you know the spiritual version of you if that takes place, you know. Well, maybe then that's where you live maybe inside that inside that cyber world. Zombies. Yeah, no, but the thing is, you see, and that's why you know movies like like The Matrix are so the first one was so wonderful because yeah. those are all you know fantastic uh, and, and interesting ideas. But to me, I'm a big subscriber to reincarnation, and uh, what why I is find. That? Because that, because of energy not being able to die, mm -hmm. and I think our soul, our essence, is energy. It's part of this all-encompassing force that, to me, is the universe or or God. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you have, um, if you look, for example, at the Dalai Lama or or a lot of Buddhists, you know, who believe in reincarnation or, or Hindus and things like that, they always talk about how you will get reincarnated here on planet Earth as another being or another animal or whatever. But see, to me, that's all very limited thinking because while I do subscribe to reincarnation, there is no way, in my opinion, that we would only reincarnate here on Earth. We can reincarnate throughout the entire universe. And that is why some people, when they come back to Earth, they're considered maybe old souls or they're more intuitive to everything that they might have been here before. So you think there's one universal bank of souls for the entire universe and that everybody has to tip into it no matter what, you know, you're on planet fucking Sirius or whatever. You know, you, you, you all dip from the same souls and so, like, you could die here and then reemerge on planet go fuck yourself in the middle of nowhere and yeah and and somehow really? and somehow with uh, but somehow with the same quote unquote instincts or knowledge because there is something that's out there it's called the the eternal spirit and that is uh, that we we all consist of of particles and, and elements and every 60 days our entire bodies are are completely recycled cuz i mean we're we're completely changing uh, i think it's every 7 years oh okay well Whatever Not it is, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the complete recycling yeah. of a body, which is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that it's seven years. And we're being bombarded by this cosmic dust, and that is what we consist of. Mm -hmm. And this one uh, French philosopher, Jean Chiron, in his book uh, called The Eternal Spirit, or The, uh, the Internal, Eternal Particle, suggested that um, each time one of our particles in our body travels through the universe, no matter what it passes through, if it's a stone or, a, or, or some type of a being or something, it records everything. And so, you know, each and every particle contains the knowledge of the entire universe, and that's within us. I mean, it's, it's I've such... I've heard that theory of re things recording things by uh, Rupert Sheldrake has mm. a, you know mm -hmm. who he is? Yes. He has uh, some sort of theory that things contain memory. Everything, yes. like houses, tables, chairs. Everything, everything. absolutely. Everything because we're all, we're all made of the same stuff. And if that, you know, if these particles all record the same stuff,
then, you know, we are all one. See, if you take a piece of skin and you put it underneath the electron microscope and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, everything wobbles, everything vibrates, it's all, you know, exciting down there. And, uh, you know, that's just, we are, we consist of uh, vibration, it's all frequency, it's all harmonics. Now, you take a piece of this metal cup right here, which is considered to be inorganic or dead material, and you put a little, a little piece under the same electron microscope and you go deeper and deeper and deeper, at the very, very core, it's the exact same thing. And I would challenge you for a hundred bucks to tell me which is which. Nobody can tell, can tell the difference unless you know at which microscope. At the subatomic level. Exactly. Which means we all exist of the same stuff. Well, all don't we all exist actually as nothing? I mean, isn't like most of the universe nothing? Absolutely. Most and, of the universe and, is most, mostly atoms, and most atoms are almost entirely nothing. And, and we consist of nothing, too, because while we can touch ourselves and touch other people and the, the sensation of touch and all of this, it's all complete. It's magnetism. I mean, you should use that as really a molester touches. in a trial. <laughs> You know, <laughs> grab some chick's ass and go, I touch nothing. There's nothing to touch. There's, There's nothing, nothing there. there. I have a question. A lot yes. of the stuff you're saying, I agree with. And a lot of the stuff you're saying, uh, Edgar Casey, for instance, mm -hmm. he, was, uh, he, he believed in the Akashic Records. And he, he, um, he could put, him, he put, him, he put himself under hypnosis, right? Yes. Self-hypnosis. And then when he was in, under self-hypnosis, he became this brilliant, all-knowing man and he had a third grade education, and he's, he said that he's, all this information can be tapped into by anybody. You just got to learn, like meditation is part of it, mm -hmm. and that's why there's a big, you know, meditation's huge and yoga's huge, because once you master meditation, you actually can tap into the Akashic Records, which holds the answers to everything. Mm -hmm. you know? Were you an Edgar Casey fan? Did you follow him at all? Uh, no, actually, I, I really and, and don't know much about him, but, uh, you know, it is true that, you see, we only use about 5% of our entire brain power. Is that really true? I've heard that's been debunked. Well, even if, let's say, let's, say, it it's, let's say it's 10%. I don't even think that's true. I think they've debunked it. I think that was back when people were ignorant as about the functions of different areas of the brain, and now they've attributed different areas of the brain to different functions. And I think the more they understand about the brain, the more they realize that that's, that's a misnomer. Have you driven down to 405? Yeah, I have. Do you still the, believe the, not we thinking. use more? Huh? I'm, not, I'm not saying that <laughs> these people are uh, thinking well. They even said like if you use more than 10% at the same time, you'll just go into seizures and stuff like that. I think that's all horseshit. I think that's all been disproven. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm almost positive, yeah. I, well, I don't, go ahead I don't and say what you anyway. were saying. Well, anyway, so, so the idea, let's, let's operate under the assumption that uh, w you know, we, we only use about eight, 5 to 8% of our total brain power. This one guy suggested, a philosopher, he said that the brain is the last untamed beast in the universe. And that is true because every single thing that we see each day, every single thing that we hear, everything that we say, our brains records it. They all, everything is there. Everything is there permanently for eternity in our brains. The only problem is we can't access the information. And then, of course, there are people who are great at, uh, you know, m memorizing lines or memorizing texts or, or whatever, or, you know, or have photographic memory. Or autism, where they can remember. Yes. I mean. 
Well, you know, and, and also, you know, normally, quote-unquote, functioning people. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how, you know, some people have the, quote-unquote, gift to recall certain things and some people don't. And that is where I think, you know, the, the last uh, uh, frontier lies, that uh, we could conceivably, you know, access way more of our brain power, and then you could move proverbial mountains. The 10% of the brain is absolutely a myth. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's absolutely been proven. It, it is actually a misinterpretation, a misquote of Albert Einstein, or the misinterpretation of the work of Pierre Florens in the 1800s. It's uh, we use 100% of our brain. They have it mapped out. They know what part of your brain works for different areas. They did not know at a certain point in time in history, and that's when people started, you know, kind of chirping that and saying it back and forth. So through the wonders of the internet, we just cleared that up. See, and this is why you never stop learning. Never. Every day you learn something new. Um, what do you think about all this Nazi shit? Because uh, one of the, the things that's fascinating about the uh, ancient uh, aliens show is how much the Nazis were into the occult and uh, the, the, the Mahabharata and trying to recreate things that were in ancient scriptures. I mean, the Indiana Jones thing, they kind of got into it with the... Um, the, um, uh, the 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 uh, what is it called the Ark of the Covenant and you know and that there's there's, the Holy there's, Grail. there's something to it and the Nazis were obsessed with that shit but if they were just some fucking kooks you know which they clearly were in one way but they were also so fucking advanced with rocketry and with science and you know I mean so many companies came out of Nazi Germany you know. There's, I mean, just Germany, period. Forget the Nazis. I mean, they're so... I mean, the Porsche started there, you know, BMW. Some, so many sophisticated engineers. They were so advanced. What the fuck was their big thing about UFOs? What was the whole Nazi UFO connection? Because that was one of the most fascinating ancient aliens to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, look, I mean, there's definitely something uh, that can be said about this, and... Uh, the whole idea, because many scholars say that, you know, Hitler and the Nazis were never into the occult. And that is simply untrue because we have found, or they found, uh, documents, because the, the Nazis were immaculate record keepers, as we know, and uh, it says that these expeditions to the North Pole to find, you know, openings at the North Pole and the South Pole, that these expeditions truly did exist, that the real society and the Tula society really existed and things like that. And I personally find it fascinating, but I've got to be honest with you, you know, that to me, it's not ancient enough uh, you know, <laughs> to, to talk about. It was because I was 70 years ago, and right. you see, my, my ancient aliens, uh, you know, some people consider 70-year-old people ancient, but, you know, I don't, so... Uh, my aliens happened thousands of years ago. So you're a Sumerian, Mesopotamian type Egyptian, dude. You're and into that ancient, shit. ancient Greece, and things like that. But at the same time, you know, you just never know. And, and it, it would be foolish to not listen to those stories or, or to look at these opinions because you just never know. Just be open at all times. Isn't there like a bunch of vases and paintings that have like old uh, uh, drawings of aliens on them and stuff like that? Uh, have those been disproven or have those, because uh, I've seen a few of them where they're like, yeah, this is an alien. I'm like, yeah, the, or it's just a guy that has his head shaved and the artist sucks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you done in, any research on that kind of stuff? Yeah, or? no, I mean, look, one of, one of the uh, greatest... Uh, quote-unquote pieces of evidence that we have is uh, you know the the def the um 
the carvings that we find, but also the figurines and drawings on vases, like what you were saying. And there really are compelling figurines and compelling drawings that, compared to modern days, are eerily similar to modern-day astronaut suits. And, you know, a lot of times the debunkers are like, okay, so you're suggesting that the aliens were here, and why on earth would they wear the same suits, or why would they need suits like our modern-day astronauts? Because I mean, they were only a little more advanced than us. Right, exactly. But they see, were us in 100 years. Well, but, we would need suits. Right, but, th but that's the exact argument that, you know, if we can't go to the moon without a, a suit, so why would aliens, if they're, you know, oxygen-based uh, people as we are, or, or people that need to breathe uh, oxygen for, for their life support, so to suggest that aliens are so vastly different than us, that I have a hard time with that. I mean, there's some people that have suggested that aliens are just these, you know, uh, blobs of slime. And I'm like, okay, that's possible, but, you know, that would defy nature because nature is very efficient. And I, I think that the building blocks or the requirements for life are pretty much uh, given throughout the entire universe. And so that if something happens here, you know, to, to think that aliens would exist like in the Hollywood movies, yeah, that's a bit too much for me. I, I mean, look, it's great entertainment, but do I think that that is how it is in reality? Not really. I think that we're all pretty much, you know, the same out there. Um, you know, more advanced, obviously, but looks-wise, because all those ancient uh, carvings or descriptions and paintings that we have, you know, especially if you look at the ancient Hindu gods, they look like us, beautiful, but just with blue skin, for example. Yeah. But they weren't, they didn't have four, uh, well, in India, yes, they did have 20 arms. <laughs> but, you know, so... Uh, you know, there's definitely something to be said that, you know, we think that we have depictions that show potential extraterrestrial visits, visitors in the past. You must dominate some late-night hippie pussy sitting around with, you know what I'm saying? Sitting around smoking weed with some chicks at a party, and you, you drop some of this ancient alien knowledge? Dude, you must just knock it out of the fucking park. Or should I say, have in the past, or should I say, have the potential to. I don't say you use it for evil. Now, do you believe... Never evil. Never do you, evil. Um, do you believe in, uh, or what do you think about the reptilian shape-shifting genre? Complete nonsense. <laughs> but David Icke has so many Complete good points. Complete nonsense. <laughs> He's got so many good points about other things. But you mentioned shape-shifting shape earlier, that yes, aliens of course. could have the possibility to turn into clouds or trees. Yeah, but I, but I would not say that, you know, the, that's only, you know, reserved for reptilians. I mean, look, I, I really think that, uh, the, the, I, I don't know, I mean, the whole argument with the whole reptilian thing, look, it really doesn't matter. Because what this theory or this whole extraterrestrial question is about is whether or not extraterrestrial life not only has been here, but also whether they're here right now. And you know what? Whether they're reptilian or if they look like Oompa Loompas, it doesn't matter. The fact is that having an extraterrestrial presence on planet Earth, not only today, but for thousands of years, that is sensational enough than to suggest, yeah, 
you know, they're coming from planet so-and-so, their spaceship's name is so-and-so, their commander's name was so-and-so. I mean, that is, to me, all irrelevant garbage. And that is why the mainstream is not listening to these stories, because they're completely, it, it's complete buffoonery to suggest, you know, what planet they're from, uh, what, what their spaceship's name was, what their propulsion system was. I mean, it's all nonsense. Who gives a shit? Extraterrestrials were and are here. That's all that should matter. Do and you? That, I'm sorry. No, no. Do you um, believe Robert Lazar? Do you believe his stories? You know who he is? I was just thinking about him. Him and John yeah. Lear. Yeah, John Lear's out of his fucking mind. He's got mind, the craziest but. theories ever. John Lear believes that there are millions of humanoids on every planet in the solar system. And we've been to all the planets. There's a secret yeah, yeah, NASA. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's kooky. Yeah, he's, he's completely the craziest crazy. craziest shit ever. But, but Robert Lazar is not so kooky. Robert Lazar is... Uh, I think he's probably full of shit about some things for sure, but he's also a very intelligent guy. And goddamn, he sounds confident as fuck when he gives you his depictions, depictions of what happened at Area 51 and where he worked. And you know, it's interesting. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know if he's telling the truth, but from what I understand, he lied about uh, his education. He lied about where he went to school, and they've, you know, they've, they've proven that he didn't get degrees where he said he got degrees. So I don't know. You know. But again, could be more disinformation. Could be more. He was really good friends with John Lear. They were buddies. Well, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, because that John Lear guy is out to lunch. John Lear says that the moon is uh, a spaceship, right? No, he says that that's where your soul goes to. It's a soul oh, catcher. Okay. Like when you die, your soul goes <laughs> to the moon. See, that to me is nonsense. <laughs> it's not? just right there. I mean, it's like, okay, look. <laughs> ne never say never. Uh, uh, but but that right there, you're gonna lose the mainstream audience. You can't listen to that guy. He's <laughs> John Lear's. I think if anybody's a disinformation guy, it's John Lear. Yeah. Lear Jets. The guy's worth fucking fifty billion dollars. Is out there running around talking about the moon catching souls. When you die, you live in Ron Jeremy's balls. Tell it's, us about some episodes that some subjects subjects that you guys are gonna cover that you didn't cover the first two seasons. You did the cowboy thing. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, but for example, we're we're talking about uh, 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 entire uh, churches and buildings that were that are carved into the ground in Ethiopia at Aksum and at Lalibela, where apparently a a version or possibly the Ark of the Covenant is still buried that's or in hidden Ethiopia, today. Right? Exactly, in a town called Aksum. Now, that's what got Graham Hancock into mm -hmm. uh, his whole journey that he went on. He was yes. a mainstream reporter, and he was uh, covering some political unrest in Ethiopia, and he started talking to some of the people that guard the temple where they say the Ark of the Covenant is inside. And uh, he uh, was very compelled by the evidence yeah. and the history behind it. And What do you think about it? Well, for example, I mean, every week they have a procession through the town where they carry a replica of the Ark uh, around, and uh, it's obviously a replica. Unfortunately, you nobody has access to the Ark except for this family for, who for generations have been guarding this Ark. And what's really fascinating is that each and every guardian of, of that Ark, they eventually go blind which is really fascinating to think that, you know, you're guarding this object that you, only you are allowed to see, if at all. 
and each and every one of these guards has gone blind. How, the, how many? How many? Yeah. Oh, we're talking at least 350 years uh, uh, recorded. Of people going blind? Yeah. Well, you would think there you go, bitch. You could have that job. Well, no. I ain't in, going blind. out of lava? Yeah, do you get to <laughs> fuck this Ark of the Covenant? Why is it so awesome that it's willing to make you go blind? Well, and that is the exact question. I mean, so something is going on there, unless it's a hoax and, and these stories have been made up, but well, I, I choose the, not to think that. The and man who uh, told Graham Hancock about it had cataracts. You know, that was the, one of the things that led him to uh, start investigating. But I have heard that, too, mm -hmm. that many of the people that have been in the care of this thing have been blind. So what do they think? They think that it's radioactive in some sort of a way? Possibly, possibly. I mean, according to... What is it supposed to be? Well, according to the ancient astronaut theory that uh, I represent, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was nothing else but a container in which an extraterrestrial food dispensing device was stored in. Food dispensing yes. device? Like an extraterrestrial vending machine? Exactly. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that from you. I like that wow. very much. So the Ark of the Covenant is nothing but a fucking vending machine. <laughs> it makes your face melt. <laughs> that, that's a great that's title That's the right first there. one, man. So that basically... How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah. Well, look, in, in the 1970s, these two engineers by, <laughs> by the name of uh, Rodney Dale... <laughs> and uh, George Sassoon, they wrote a book called The Mana Machine. And if you look mana, at... Mana. Mana meaning the, 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 the bread that bread came from life. heaven, that, yeah. that fell from heaven. Exactly. And uh, they the basically... Ancient astronaut people and the mushroom people need to get together. Really? Come up with a unified theory of crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they believe mana is. I'm sorry. Go and ahead. so, no, don't worry. So there, there is a... Uh, uh, in, in the Hebrew Zohar... Um, there is a sorry in in the um, in the Kabbalah. There is a, a a a text in the Kabbalah called Zohar, and the Zohar describes a an ancient of days that traveled with uh, during the forty year wanderings uh, through the desert. That this ancient of days was with them all the time, and the ancient of days has been interpreted interpreted as the Old Testament God, and so. These two engineers came along and they read the description of it and they said, you know what, this does not sound like a, a, a deity at all, but it sounds like some type of a machine. Now, mind you, those guys were engineers, uh, electrical engineers, so they weren't, you know, some hobbyists or something like this. And one guy was also a linguist at the same time, so they looked at all these translations and looked at all the... Uh, the, the different interpretations and they found that some of the earliest translations of the Ancient of Days wasn't in fact the Ancient of Days but the transportable one of the tanks. Now that is very bizarre that you have this thing that had to be disassembled and assembled every week on different, uh, on, on after uh, a, a certain amount of time where this machine or this object was taken apart with different parts that were connected with tubes and there was a huge light source and it, it was just this magnificent thing that they determined dispensed the mana through big giant tanks and also through tubes and things like this 
um, that, uh, you know, that is the reason why we have the, the Sabbath today, because on the Sabbath the machine had to be cleaned. So all those different, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, this an ancient this hot dog is wild cart. stuff, wild and crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but at the same time, it's, it's very compelling because the texts are exactly saying that, that on Friday and Saturday, you're not going to get fed because this quote unquote deity had to be taken apart and cleaned. And it was an extremely meticulous and dangerous process. People died. People who did not know how to operate or how to, uh, you know, conduct themselves in the presence of this transportable of the tanks, they dropped to the floor dead. And then they would lose their fingernails. They would have boils on their skin. I just want to say skin. that about a minute ago, you broke my crazy meter. <laughs> it's broken. My shit's broken. Nice. It don't work anymore. Good, good. I don't know what you're saying anymore. <laughs> I don't even know what you're saying. I'm that trying means to, I'm I trying have to done my job. I have I'm done my to, job. I'm trying to throw your shit into my brain, what you were saying about this machine. And <laughs> my, 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 my brain's going, what the fuck are you asking me? Um, do you think it's possible that there was like this ancient vending machine that killed everybody? Dude, Why would they do that? Was there a shortage of food back then? Couldn't they just go get food? Um, maybe, maybe. Not in the desert. Some not in awesome the desert. food. They had awesome food. Dude, if, you took, if you took an ice cream truck back in the time machine, people would freak the fuck freak out. Freak the fuck out. out. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, you would All these run ice shit <laughs> with an ice cream cone. The big Imagine stick. Pussy that you would get if no, you had an ice cream machine and, and, and there, are, there are ancient stories where they talk about magical glowing tablets that contain the universe, uh, the universal knowledge. If you, take, if you take that, <laughs> that were iPhones. back to, you know, 10,000 years ago, you have right. a magical tablet all of a sudden. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I believe that there's some shit that human beings have discovered a long fucking time ago and then rediscovered it. If human beings created the pyramids, and that is the general consensus, right? And I agree with that. It was definitely human beings. But with the assistance of extraterrestrial technology, because that is what ancient texts, for example, the Al-Hitat or Al-Kitat, are saying, written by Al the, the Egyptian historian Al-Makritsi, that the pyramids were built by Zaurit, which who was a king, and his people with the assistance of the guardians of the sky. And in our interpretation, of course, the guardians of the sky were advanced flesh and blood extraterrestrials who taught mankind how to use certain machinery. Yo. Mm -hmm. That's heavy. So Zachariah Sitchin believed that that the pyramids were never tombs. They were never built as tombs. He, he believes that they were beacons for the Anunnaki. Yes, I mean, that is definitely a, a possibility. Personally, uh, I, I, I agree with the notion that uh, the pyramids were never tombs because uh, even when uh, the first time that the pyramids were allegedly, the seals were broken, uh, no, no actual bodies were found in there. And what's really fascinating is the fact that, you know, the pyramids defy every single other uh, structure in Egypt because you walk inside any tomb in Egypt and the, the walls are filled with hieroglyphics and, and really, I mean, it, it says exactly when it was built, by whom and how and when and what and where. And you go inside the pyramids and they're completely anonymous except for a couple of cartouches that the debate is still out whether or not these cartouches are in fact forgeries right. or not. So that, that mystery has not yet been solved, despite what mainstream archaeologists or Egyptologists are saying. When they've dated the uh, Great Pyramid back to 2500 BC, what have they used to date that? 
what is the oh they, they basically um see that and I, I love that you just asked that question because the great misunderstanding is that you know when they there's a lot of people that say you know when they dated the sphinx or when they dated the pyramid and when mm -hmm. they and right there you can you need to take a step back because nobody was actually able to do that because you can't really date stone because the stone is an inorganic material if you carbon date something with this the, the, what they call the c14 or carbon 14 method with dating you can only date something that's of a living material like bones or coal or textiles and things like that because what they do is they measure the half-life period of uh, radioactive isotopes and so that's how you can accurately you know date for example a um, in an old fire pit that has been found right and many times archaeologists are dating a fire pit and then they come up with a particular or it yields that the test yields a particular date let's say uh, you know 500 BC and then they say well okay that means that the site itself also dates from 500 BC and that in my opinion is a logical fallacy because just because a fire pit dates to 500 BC doesn't mean that the stone, the stone structure was also built yeah. in 500 BC they can't date stones right exactly so how do they do Gobekli Tepe how do they say that that thing is 12,000 years old with 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 the fire pits and the bones that were found in and around that area so still they don't absolutely guesswork so which means that the stones themselves could date back even further or I mean, could be way newer uh, yes, of course. Look, there, there that's is weird that they're using Gobekli Tepe, though. For folks that don't know, it's right now considered to be the oldest structure ever discovered, and they're saying that it's six thousand years before Mesopotamia mm -hmm. and Sumer, which was previously considered to be the cradle of civilization, the oldest. And they're saying that this was all constructed back right. when people were hunter gatherers. But if that is what they're saying, I mean, how can you say that if it's just like fire pit shit and bones and whatever? Right. No, and, and the thing is also that, you know, on, on the little Mediterranean island in Malta, which is right next to Sicily, there are megalithic structures, megalithic meaning gigantic stones that are, you know, 250, 500 metric tons heavy, these slabs that have been transported from somewhere else, put into place with incredible precision. And some of these have dated to 12,000 BC, when allegedly we were just, you know, munching on bananas. I and mean, how do they date these to 12,000 BC? What are they... Also, again, with, with bones and with, uh, you know, having found fire pits. But that does not mean that the stones themselves have been placed there even earlier. Mm. Look, there is a, 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 um, a method out there called, called the th uh, thermoluminescent uh, dating method of stone, where... Uh, you can conceivably date stone, but it's a bit inaccurate because what happens is if you polish or cut a stone, um, the oxygen in the air, there's a chemical reaction that takes place with the um, surface of that stone, and we, they can some, somehow measure this. Once it's been cut. Exactly. And, and, but it's a very expensive way of, of testing something. So and many universities, unfortunately, don't have the money, so they don't do that. The third way is where each time that you have an ancient stone over time, because we were talking before about erosion and if you have thousands of years of rainfall, what is left over, you gave the answer, you said rocks. And that is ex exactly right. So over time, 
what forms over a rock is this thin film that just builds. It's called a patina. And the thicker this film or this patina is, the older the stone. So people have, in fact, been able to measure the patina, and people have determined that some of these cuts are thousands and thousands of years old, meaning they're not modern-day creations. And right there, it just boggles the mind because it was certainly not cut with bronze tools or with chicken bones, as we're led to believe. If you had the opportunity right now, if the government came and they picked you up in Air Force One and flew you to Washington and said, listen, dude, we're going we're gonna to offer you something. Oh, you, know, you know a lot about this shit. We could use you. We're going to show you some shit, and we need you to help us. But you can't tell anybody. You can, you got to quit your all your ancient alien stuff. you got to quit your magazine. you got to work for the government and tell no one. And then monitor your fucking calls. If you tell anybody, you're dead. But they're going to take you to Area 51. They're going to take you to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to Hangar 18. And they're going to show you all that shit. Would you be down? They're going to show you the ancient... I show you everything. Trump. You know the answer. Yes. <laughs> there you, you do go. it. You would do it, right? Yeah. You would give up on civilization and be a suit. Of course. I might do it, too. I might do it, too, ladies and gentlemen. I might quit comedy. Quit comedy to learn about the aliens. Because that, that, I don't know if it helped me. You know, if you knew, if you knew for a fact, would it help? Would, it, would you just sit around waiting for the aliens to come, and then when they didn't, would you be disappointed? I mean, if you do know that there are aliens out there and they're monitoring, you're like, come on, make something happen. Well, here, here's something I would like to put on the record here, that personally, I have never seen a UFO... I have never been visited. I have never had any, uh, you know, an ex abduction experience or anything like this. So, because a lot of people ask me that, and then, and then I tell them, no, actually, I haven't. And they're like, well, then how do you subscribe to these ideas? Why? And I'm like, well, because, you know, to me, this has really nothing to do with belief. Because belief always has this, quote-unquote, religious connotation. It means that if you believe something, you have to have faith. I don't have faith in aliens. I don't worship them. I don't, quote-unquote, think that, uh, of them as, you know, spiritual or divine beings. They're people like us, just more advanced technologically speaking. So to me, it's more of an idea of, uh, of knowing instead of believing. Like, I think about these things. I don't, it's not, you know, that I, quote-unquote, believe in it. So Do you think there's a broad spectrum of aliens out there? Like, there's some of them that are just, like, a little more advanced than us, like they could visit us and maybe, maybe fuck us and take yes. our gold. Sure. And there's other ones that are, like, super advanced that are just yeah. showing up as clouds and monitoring us and Look, waiting there, for explosions. There, there is this uh, thing out there where uh, this guy, Kardashev, this Soviet scientist in the 60s, or the 70s, actually, came up with this uh, the classification of civilizations and he said that there's basically three types of civilizations out there type one type two type three type one civilization is uh, and it's all about energy because in the end that's all what it comes down to and uh, he basically suggested that a type one civilization is capable of harnessing the energy resources of their own home planet a type two civilization is able to harness the energy resources of their solar system and a type 3 civilization is able to harness the energy resources of their own galaxy now we on this scale are we're none we are a type 0 civilization on the verge of becoming a type 1 civilization so sagan uh, carl sagan actually suggested that we're maybe a point 0.7 or possibly now a point 0.8 
And many of these astronomers and astrophysicists are suggesting that this transitionary period from a type 0 to a type 1 is the most difficult and most dangerous one because it does involve the splitting of the atom or and the monkeys <laughs> all together <laughs> yes splitting the atom and monkeys <laughs> you know so uh, i mean this is all it's it's all fascinating stuff brian's asleep <laughs> you know one thing i was going to ask you about uh before when you said they found those like little things and they rebuild them and put propellers on them and mm -hmm. they were like a plane uh, I saw the pictures of those, but it also looks like they kind of modified the uh, the the wings a little bit to make it actually fly. Uh, would, couldn't that have been just easily like a, a statue of a bird or, or or something like that? Why is it well, all just they put rudders? It doesn't look like they modified the. Wings. I mean, yeah, the wings on the on the actual statue is just like a flat. You know, no, that, that, that has to be curved in order for it to get flight. You know. Yeah, but oh. the thing is that it actually um, in 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 the same. Uh, collection of, of um, the totems or funeral objects that have been found, they did find carvings or, or creations of birds. Yeah. And they look, oh, they look totally different. Yes, and yeah. fish and crocodiles yeah. and frogs. And what he was talking about earlier, too, about the wings being on the bottom and the fuselage and all that shit is very yes. bird-like. The rudder on the top. There's no animal in history that has that fucking thing. Right. Um, let me see some more of those pictures you brought in, man, because you brought in some badass structures. Absolutely. And this is uh, your own collection? Yeah, this is stuff that I, that I took uh, all around the world. Now, for example, you know, because I was saying earlier that uh, obviously our ancestors did know how to cut stone and move objects and move stone blocks and things like that. So there's absolutely no question about that. They, they did know how to do this. But, but I'm going to show you a physical impossibility right now okay. where I still today, I show these pictures at each and every one of my lectures and I have yet anyone to come forward and tell me how this was done. And I've, I've shown these pictures to engineers, to, to stone cutters and things like that and they're like, this can't be done. So if you look, for example, at uh, this structure right here, Obviously, it's a type of um, a, a stone quarry where blocks were cut out. So, you know, there's no question that stone blocks were, were actually cut out of these particular uh, sections right, right there. However, if you, and this here is on the back entrance in Peru in an area called uh, Ollantaytambo, and uh, what you have here is a are two blocks that were cut out of the, the, <coughs> the side of the mountain. One at the very top, where if you look at closely at the uh, at this particular photograph, the top one, the top block or the, the top slab was released by you know having three cuts on the left, on the right, and the bottom, and then one blade that went down on the back. But now I want you to pay attention to the bottom square of this particular um, slab that was cut out where you can see the four sides have been cut out and then the back. But there is no access point to this particular, uh, to the back because if you look closely, the bridge that connects or that is between the top part or the top slab that was cut out and the bottom one, there is no access point. It's a solid piece. And so okay, how, I see what you're saying. Right. So what you're saying is the, the top one 
you could slide behind it and cut it out because you could get at the top of it. Yes. With this one, there's there's like a bridge. And as, there's no way to get behind it and right. cut it out. And huh. as if somebody wanted to have a good time, the actual block that fit into the bottom slot is sitting right next to it. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they just destroyed it. No. No, 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 no. You can see it. And here it is. It's cut out. Check it out. So, and that piece right there, that block, has not a single millimeter of loss of material. So it's not like they carved around right. it or something. I mean, this is a physical impossibility. And yeah. the only way that somebody, uh, you know, gave an idea how this could have been, been possible is if you have a piece of... This is, I, I really wish we had photos of this that we could show people. I mean, this is... Um, what, what can they look up? What can they look up on? Because this is really fascinating. What is the name of this stone? And what, what can they look up they online see, they if they want to Google this. this? Yeah, bro. How many people are looking at this? A, a fraction. What, you know what? I, on I, can, I can send you. I can send you. But what, the should, what, do they, what should they look for if they this can find is, this, this online? This is Oyante Tambo. O L L A N T A Y T A M B O. Oyante Tambo. And it is in Peru. In Peru. And it's uh, in the back in the in the back uh, quarry of uh, that archaeological this, site. It's fucking incredible. Now I got a question. What what the fuck is up with Peru, man? There's so much crazy shit in Peru. The Nazca lines, Machu Picchu, those crazy people with the skulls, where they uh, they deformed their skulls to make themselves look like fucking the coneheads. What's yeah, that no, about? The, 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 the elongated craniums is uh, or the coneheads is definitely a, a, a is incredible. Is it the, all the same era? Is it all combined? Yes and no. I mean, uh, look, one thing that's really great, in my opinion, is that the archaeologists agree that in Peru has the, the culture, the, the culture, the ancient culture of Peru are the Incas. And what's fascinating is the fact that today the archaeologists agree that a pre-Inca civilization did in fact exist but not a single archaeologist agrees who the hell those pre-Inca people were. So this is where, you know, your previous idea and theory definitely comes into place or fits that there was a type of highly advanced civilization back in the past that, that nobody knows even know what, what date, and some have suggested 10, 15,000 years ago, that that civilization might have been wiped out. Because Puma Punku, for example, is such an era, uh, such a region or, or a site that was 100% built by, pre, by, by a pre-Incan civilization. And still today, archaeologists are fighting over who these people were. We had a buddy on the other day, Tom Segura, who had been to Machu Picchu several times. And I was saying that I had read something, I believe it was Graham Hancock's speculation about Machu Picchu, that at one point in time it was at the side of water. Isn't that Puma, Puma Punku? Puma Punku. Yeah, what it was? It wasn't Machu Picchu. In fact, Puma Punku is it's, it's translated. It's but it's miles away from water right now, right? Yes. Yes. But it it's right next to it's right next to Lake Titicaca, which is the highest navigable lake in the world at twelve and a half thousand feet, and still today, the the train the the train the the train tracks that that drive or that go through the Bolivian highlands and the Peruvian highlands are filled with mussels and with uh, fish bones that are thousands and thousands of years old, proving that that area used to be under 
seawater. We're not Holy talking. Shit. We're not. Yeah, we're not talking. You know, fresh water. We're talking seawater. So I mean, so Pumapunku was built as an ocean port. Yes. What? And, and, and that is even something that, that mainstream archaeologists have proposed as well. And how old is it supposed to be then? Well, that would mean it goes back to the last ice age. So, <laughs> so we're at 14,000 years ago. So all these Nazca lines and the top of the, well, the Nazca lines, isn't there like clear evidence that, that area has been excavated yeah. by, by machines? I mean, there are entire mountaintops at missing, Nazca right? that are missing, that have been sheared off as if with a cheese knife. But a how do they knife. know that it was higher? I mean, what is the proof? Well, because you have uh, uh, mountain ranges right next door, not even 100 yards away or 200 yards away that are a certain height of a certain height and, uh, and you know it's flat and it, and the the other ones are completely like they're like tabletops are they level is it level 100 percent real affection you yes. can play pool on it absolutely really we should go play some pool <laughs> nasca nasca pool right now Dude, what is the mainstream uh, opinion of what those lines are for it's very clear you can only see them from the sky if they are just artwork they're artwork for fucking who <laughs> exactly how big are they they are, there is Nazca is is fascinating because you have I mean world famous geoglyphs and mainly you, you people see the the uh, the, the, the images of the spider and, and the, the monkey astronaut the astronaut by the way the astronaut who looks like ET mm. with the big eyes one hand is pointing to the sky the other hand is pointing to, to his to dick. Earth <laughs> suck my dick that, that's where it is go to space Earth is dick. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, you know, but at the same time, you have those lines uh, that they look like landing strips. That look like landing strips. And by the way, we never suggested that they actually were landing strips because the argument is completely ridiculous. Because what extraterrestrials travel millions and billions of light years, On a plane. and then before what they the can wheels. land is is to get to build airstrips. I mean, yeah. it makes no sense. So no. so for the debunkers to even say that, right. th I mean, they're nuts. What do you think those lines are then? Those long straight lines—they they look like, you know, it looks like an airport. They, they the, and there's absolutely no doubt in that that it looks like an airport. But so, for example, look right now we've got a rover on Mars that's you know driving around and it's leaving behind these tracks. So we're suggesting that at some point a long time ago some type of an unmanned or possibly even manned uh, craft landed at NASCA for to conduct the core drills and, and core, core samples of the ground to determine what's in that area. Because still today, NASCA... There's a bunch of drilled holes, right? Yes, and there, there are, you know, and there's still mining going on today at NASCA because there, it's very abundant in uh, very precious raw materials on Earth. So if you want to know about planet Earth, you can go to NASCA and by conducting a, a few days of research, you, it's like the cliff notes of planet Earth, essentially. And so imagine if you had a bunch of natives there and all of a sudden this thing lands that conducts a bunch of research, they're of course afraid, they run away, and then this, uh, this craft leaves again and it, leaves, it has left behind some tracks in the sand or on the ground and then they come back out and they look at this stuff and they're like, oh my God, what just happened here? I think we were just visited by God. Um, doesn't it make more sense? And then they sense? recreate it. These funerary objects that are 1,500 years old that look like planes that are from mm -hmm. Central and South America, mm -hmm. doesn't it make more sense that they had planes? 
That someone had planes back then? Well, yes, of course. I mean, that is the suggestion. That yeah, there must be runways, and that's what this whole, multi, um, you know, Nazca Lines thing, maybe it really is an airport. Look, <coughs> I'm, always one, I'm always one to say never say never. So, is it possible? As long as it's aliens. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Flesh and blood ones at that. No, but the thing is that, you know... The bottom line is that at NASCA, what's really odd is that we have done some research there where we found, you know, higher levels of arsenic in areas where there shouldn't be any arsenic, and very bizarre magnetic fields there where you can put down your compass and it keeps on spinning and things like that at the beginning and at the end of these runway looking like um, strips. Excuse me. And so something definitely happened there because the whole idea that it was very easy to build these things is, is nonsense because people have suggested, oh, all you have to do is you have to scratch off the surface of the, of the, um, of the ground and then you expose the lighter mm. or the darker underground with the pebbles and things like that. We've tried that, and people have tried it. It doesn't work that There's way. There's just so many things in Peru. It's not just that. Oh, no. You know, with Machu Picchu and the skulls, those people that were deforming their heads. Oh, what is the, the explanation for that? They made their heads look like alien heads. Yeah. They flattened them out and stretched them out. And well, and, and here's the crazy thing, that archaeology even has an answer to this. And, and they say that the reason why, and this was achieved by binding the infant's head upon birth with Ugh. wooden boards so that the, the brains or the, 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 the brain the chamber would, would you know, yeah. grow into this elongated fashion. And the archaeologists are saying, well, yes, of course, they did this because they were mimicking or worshipping their gods. And then they pat each other on the shoulder and then they go home and say, case solved, mystery done, we're out of here, this is it. And that is exactly where I say, no, this is not where, the mystery is not solved. Because the question is, okay, you just said that this was done in order to worship the gods. Mm -hmm. Well, my question is, who were these gods? That is the question that the archaeologists are not answering. Are there any images that they have of these gods? These Well, for, for example, all over ancient Egypt, which, by the way, the, the skull deformation phenomenon also happened in ancient Egypt. It happened in Germany. It happened in Russia. All around the world do we have these elongated skulls that are obviously human in origin, but they all have all these elongated heads. And then there are some skulls that we we don't know if they're really human in origin i mean who you knows know, like that things? star child thing what do you think about that is that a horseshit that for example i mean it, it's definitely something worth looking into absolutely there's no question in my mind but to return to the elongated you don't know about star child no what is that star child's a skull that, that they found it's, it's really freaky looking they've determined that it's human but it might be human plus something else like the mitochondrial DNA, whatever the fuck it was. I think it's determined that the mother was human, but they don't know what the father was. Yeah. This is just reading it online. It could easily just be some horrible birth defect. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's to be debated, but the thing, yeah, it's definitely know. a That's fascinating like. story that, you know, merits <laughs> yeah. further investigation. What, what places, out of all these sites, what places haven't you been to? Have you been to most of them? 80% of them? 90% of them? Like, no, I mean, I, I there's, no, there's definitely, I've been about to 75% of the stuff because, that's amazing. yeah, you know, mm. I mean, it's, it's, see, that's the What's one the thing, most mind blowing? Puma Punku. Yeah. I mean, look, for sheer size, it's definitely the Great Pyramid on the Giza Plateau, because, uh, have you been? No. You must go. I mean, Eddie's been. 
You have. So, so, so you know. I I've mean, only been to Chichen Itza. That's the only stand, crazy place I've been. That's also a crazy thing with the shadow play, with Amazing. Quetzalcoatl and all this. I mean, you know that when you stand in front of that pyramid, you're, you're breathless. That You can't breathe. They're so incredible. You know what's massive. crazy about them is that you, you never see in the pyramids and the pictures that you see, you never see that there's like a ghetto, an Egyptian ghetto, like all around it. You know what I mean? They're just there's one side of the pyramid where it's all open desert, and then right there you're in a ghetto. And the cool thing is when you drive around in this ghetto, you're in, in garbage, but the pyramid is always visible wherever you go. So you got this ancient monument, and then you check cashing place. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not even gangbangers and, and, uh, and Egyptian <laughs> drive-bys, cheap goat heads. You know what's cool about your job? You have your job is so cool that. If there was ever a chick that was like a little bit out of your league, you could always say, you know, I'm going to Machu Picchu next week and I want you to go with me. Right? And what girl wouldn't go? Well, we were saying that right? about Tom Segura, that <laughs> he, if I was a chick, I'd be willing to fuck him just because he's telling me so much about Machu Picchu. He's <laughs> a traveled man. You know what I mean? That's always a deal closer right there. Yeah, you have good genetics and we got traveled man, a man with that kind of experience. Like, I don't know. It, it he's kind, of, he's kind of a nerd. Picchu. He's sort of a nerd, but damn. He's got I crazy want... hair and I love his jewelry. I do want to go to the, Easter Island. The, pu the Puma yeah. thing, it's weird how it's like the Nazi symbol built into it, that one part. I bet he has chicks what laying out. You probably have chicks laying out on Easter Island, you know what I mean, in, in a yeah. thong. The, in Puma Puma, there's a swastika. There's a swastika in Puma Puma. <laughs> there, there are swastikas all around the world. In fact, the swastika is uh, has its uh, origin in, in ancient India. Yeah, in Hindu. And, and right. it, it, Sign it, of good fortune. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, they so fucked it, that it, up. It was well, they, first Try telling people that now. Yeah. First of all, they reversed the reversed direction, but whatever. I mean... But they the bottom line that. is... They ruined it's, that it's, and the little yes. mustache. <laughs> Michael Jordan tried to bring back that little mustache. That's what kind of an ego that motherfucker has. Maybe they reversed it to say sign of death instead of sign of good fortune, know, right? But sign of bad fortune. They for just them. ganked it. They just stole it. No, and it was also used in, in ancient Greece. I mean, it's symbolism. But they reversed symbolism. it, though. It's not the same. They did reverse no. it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. no, symbolism definitely. is fascinating, which is one of the most fascinating things to me about the Egyptian language, that it was all symbols. Mm -hmm. But instead of, you know, with us, with letters, and each letter having a sound, that what they have is like these symbols. And, these, and apparently just absorbing the language, just interpreting it, it just has a completely different experience in the human mind. You know, these, all these symbols. You know, we have symbols that we re register, like this is a McDonald's symbol, this is Sitco, this is... But their language consisted of these things, and that is a completely different experience than reading our language. And the ancient uh, Incas had nuts. They had string with nuts. Yeah. That was their language. That was their written language. I mean, no nuts. wonder why they got jacked by the Spanish. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Spanish came over and go, yo, 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 should that, we kill these people? Dude, they're writing strings. Like, shut up, they're giving us their gold. Let's get the gold first. <laughs> Put that motherfucker on the ship. That is another Because <laughs> they were cool for a while with them. Until, for a while. Until the gold, once the gold ran out, they started fucking slicing Well, they the started Aztecs. realizing that they weren't gods anymore, too. They thought people on horses were gods. Well, there's actually a little bit more to that story, and that is no. that... Uh, Get out. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was the whole story. The end. Thread no, slash that, you know, thread. No, that, that you know, many ancient cultures based their whole calendar on the return of, of the gods. And yeah. it just so happened that, uh, you know, both Cortez and Pizarro happened to 
arrive on those shores in the same year they fucking lucked out like, it, is, it is it absolutely is it was complete chance and doesn't absolutely. Isn't the, the beard the serpent the plume serpent doesn't that same thing mean a bearded man isn't there like a, a the, the translation of Quetzalcoatl and, yeah. and Kukulikan is like like so similar to a man with a beard and that, you know, this is one of the reasons why the Aztecs were so baffled by these people. Right. Because they were men with beards. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. I mean, that's, that's... Is that right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's part of it. But, you know, to me, that's, you know, it's, it's a bit uh, kind of... Uh, it's very elitist in, in a certain way because uh, even though those, those theories have been proposed that, you know, and all of a sudden... Uh, this red-headed guy appeared with a red beard and things like that, and that's why he was worshipped. I mean, I, I don't think that people or, or that, you know, the, those cultures back then were so shallow. I think it has more to do that this Quetzalcoatl or Kukulkan character, if he was a red-headed guy, that he flew around in this fl flying or plumed or winged serpent, and that this winged serpent, we all know that snakes do not fly. And so when you eat enough mushrooms, they do, bro. I know. They but, talk to you, too. But see, here's the thing that you can't attribute everything that a person sees... To mushrooms? To mushrooms, because... If you've done enough mushrooms, you can. Yes. No, look, I, I have to you say something about... <laughs> yes, no, but the thing is that our collective... After a while. Our collective consciousness today is way bigger than the collective consciousness back in the day. How do we know? Well, because today, if... Well, yes. No. I mean, the thing is that you know, today, if we see, <coughs> if we see a spaceship or a UFO, we can mm -hmm. immediately recognize it as a spaceship or a UFO. Back in the day, if you didn't know what that was, it doesn't matter how many mushrooms you took, you still mm. had to describe it with something. There was a spark of inspiration or a spark of something that that motivated or inspired all these stories. So, yes. But how do we not know that what these stories are is people's memory of someone else who had seen people who were flying around? And it was thousands and thousands of years ago. Yes. So, over time, but, but that's the, these stories that's get the, more and more diluted. Well, I, they, but in your and mind, they, it all they, goes back to no, aliens. And they, and they absolutely did. They did get diluted. That's the whole, uh, that's the whole idea that, you know, that's why we have... You know Christianity today and and Islam and and all those different uh, things. I mean, <laughs> you believe like, you believe the Zechariah Sitchin depiction of humanity that we are engineered from uh, lower primates by some aliens to mine for gold. I, I subscribe to the to the first uh, uh, part of that statement. Yes, that that Not we the mine we, we came about through a direct targeted mutation of our genes. And that, that will be the ultimate proof, by the way. The ultimate proof of ET visitation won't be in a crashed spaceship or in a finding a ray gun or something silly like that, but it'll be, in our, it'll be found in our own genes, that something happened in the past that did not come by chance. But haven't they already mapped out the human genome? Isn't that how they understand, like, the people, white people, are mostly, you know, related to Neanderthals? And, you know, I mean, haven't they figured out all these things? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, th there's definitely th th many, many conclusions have been drawn, but there's still is there mystery in the human genome. Absolutely, still? Really? absolutely. For example, that you know, 95% of our human genome of our DNA make makeup allegedly is junk. I I completely disagree with that. Just because we can't decipher those 95% yet 
doesn't mean that that 95% truly is garbage. I Do really you think that in our lifetime, and, and things are ever going to change? And, and I'm sorry. Quickly, though. And, and no, we were not created as slaves. No. Absolutely not. You don't not. believe that. No. You think we, that's, that's, we're just... That's, again, doom they, and gloom nonsense. So they came and they just sort of fucked with people yeah. and created... Just like what we will do 5,000 years from now on another planet, you know, if, if we want to experiment. And I think that, you know, good in the end always outweighs the bad. Tell so, that to the Indians. <laughs> they got jacked. Well, you know, but seriously, that, you know, you can definitely make an argument that if we go out there, that it won't be to destroy others, but, you know, in a, in a benevolent way. In planet Earth, every single intelligent animal that's less intelligent than us, we've enslaved. We've fucked with dolphins, orcas, monkeys, yeah. chimps. Everything that we can fuck, we fuck. Everything that we can eat, we eat. And that is the evidence of every other intelligent life, how it treats that other intelligent life that it can manipulate, like dolphins killing other dolphins, and orcas killing dolphins, orcas killing whales. But I also think that that is why, that is the reason why we have not yet made official contact with any type of... So we're not ready. We're not ready. We fuck too many animals. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what are the top, the top five animals that we fuck. As a, I would say as sheep, number one. Sheep's got to be one. Donkeys. That Colombian donkey show, you ever yeah. watched that? Chicken. 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 Chickens love chicken. fucking chickens. We fuck dogs. People fuck their dogs. For sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then that Dave Chappelle bit about trying to fuck a monkey. <laughs> I can't fuck can't a monkey. Fuck a monkey. Can't. monkey will bite you there. You know how strong a monkey is? <laughs> It'll throw you across the room. Uh, snap your dick off like a piece of celery and throw it in the tall grass. <laughs> Never to be seen again. <laughs> you know how strong um, a monkey is? So, in closing, listen, this has been a crazy Dude, fucking we conversation. Gotta, we got the top five right there. It took us 20 fucking seconds. Yeah, it's not hard at all. Top five animals. Jellyfish. Maybe someone really crazy. <laughs> sea anemones. Wow. Someone fuck a sea anemone. Frogs like right. a pocket flashlight. Yeah, for chimps, right? I, chimps bet in the zoo, I bet in the zoo they give them a little tranquilizer. I bet dudes the fuck lions and tigers. Wow, just to, just to get off. Just a little tranquilizer. Did you see that guy, the congressman that got busted? He's a furry. Apparently he's been doing a lot of weird shit. He's kind of crazy. With a, in the tiger costume? Wu, yeah. Congressman Wu. His, his staff's trying to get him to resign. I don't know if he's resigned yet. It's not, it's inevitable. But he's, uh, apparently he's out of his fucking mind. Dresses up like a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like one of those kids' costumes. Yeah. It's not even a cool cut tiger costume. Well, that's what the furries wear, you know. We've talked about furries in the podcast before because I was in Pittsburgh and they had a furry convention at the same time that the UFC was in Pittsburgh. And all these furries were wandering the streets, and the people in the hotel set me hip to furries because they go to Pittsburgh every year. So the uh, the guys that are working in the hotel tell you uh, the nutty stories of these people shitting in litter boxes. And some of the furry community actually got upset with me that I was spreading misinformation. Well, I say no. You may not, if you're a furry, you may not be into the dirty aspect of the furry. But there's a broad spectrum of furry behavior, folks. And just because you're not into taking shits in litter boxes doesn't mean that the man who worked at the Westin didn't tell me that they called down and asked to put a large litter box in the fucking lobby of the Westin because the furries had every room in the Westin, so they wanted a litter box. One, one litter box yeah. for everyone. Yeah, the guy who, uh, I uh, asked the guy who was uh, delivering the food, and, uh, you know, the room service guy, he said that they asked for bowls, like, to, to eat on the ground. Like to eat like dog bowls, like big bowls. They want all their food in bowls, and then they go over there. The bowls are on the ground, like bowls of milk. They ask for a large bowl of milk, mm -hmm. and they eat it like an animal. 
And this dude's a congressman. There's no, we're, we're so up the ass of politicians that there's no one left but crazy people. There's no one left but Michelle Bachmans. you got to be completely out the fucking lunch to want to be the president of this country. It's nuts. And coming from the alien guy, that's saying a lot. <laughs> Thursday, Ancient Aliens, the premiere of season three. Good luck with that, sir. Thank, Thank you very, very much. much for coming on the podcast. And if you want to follow Giorgio on Twitter, it's Sukalos, T-S-O-U-K-A-L-A-O-S. L L O S O S. I'm gonna I'll say on, it again. I'm gonna be T S. On. This is Sukalos at T S O U K A L O S. Nice. Got it. And Eddie. I'm gonna be in El Paso, at 10th Planet El Paso this Saturday. Go to 10th Planet JJ. You got to reschedule, com. right? You got sick. Yeah, I got sick last weekend, so I rescheduled it for this Saturday. Go to 10thplanetjj.com and get on the Nibiru forum. That's the name of my forum. 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. I love it. That's great, man. We named it when we were high talking about Zacharias Hitchin. Sweet. I wanted to call my school Nibiru Jiu-Jitsu, and then it sounded too weird, and Joe goes, dude, just call it 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like, ah, that sounds stupid. Two minutes later, I thought, damn, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu does sound way better than Nibiru Jiu-Jitsu. So, anyways, I, I named my forum the Nibiru Forum. That's where all the information is. Jiu-Jitsu history, bitches. August love it. 13th. That's awesome. August 13th, I will be in Milwaukee with Mad Flavor, a.k.a. Joey Diaz, at the Paps Theater. Tickets are still available. They are going fast, though. And then September 23rd at the Paramount in Denver. Holla at your boy. And that is the uh, last time I checked, it was half sold out already. And um, it's only been on sale for a couple of days. Denver showing mad love. Can't wait to get back to Colorado before the end of the earth, before the civilization corrodes. And that's where I live. Eternally, because I'm going to travel through space, speed of light, come back 13,000 years. It's a lot of shit that happened in this podcast, and not a lot of it was good. A lot of it was strange. Brian fell asleep at least five times. I noticed it. Eddie Bravo. I'm just drunk off of Any questions strength. before we, we leave for this man? You, you were fucking chomping at the bit to get in here on this podcast. No, I, I, I was just, I wanted to just sit and listen to him talk. You know, we got into dirty shit at the end, so. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you corrupted enough? Yeah, we did, we did enough damage. Shazam, beautiful. All right, thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. That's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're trying to rope it together with Jay Moore. He was busy this week. And uh, next week, uh, probably Joe Diaz and Duncan Trussell. Holla! We'll see you yeah. soon. Big kisses. Oh, and thank nice. you to the Fleshlight. That was great. If you that go to JoeRogan.net and click on the link for the Fleshlight and enter in the code name Rogan, you will get 15% off the number one sex toy for men. And then you can shoot loads in it and take naps. And you will feel so good. And it is a discount. All right. See you, freaks. Real soon. Bye-bye, big kisses.